and welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Cartridge. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Penrod. Uh, and I will be your other co-host, Ryan Bauer. And Ryan, today we have a special guest. One of our super good friends, Dave. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to step out of my normal podcast realm into something I know more about, which is video games. <laughs> <laughs> So Dave, as always, we, we always ask uh, everybody on the show, how are you and what game have you been playing or what games have you been playing? I am good. I recently have been playing a little more than, than I was this year in general, and I'm starting to catch on some of my backlog. I finally played the first Bioshock recently, which was a, a, a good experience, a lot of fun. I then started Bioshock 2, but then I accidentally opened Ori and the Blind Forest on my Xbox, like just clicked on the wrong game. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to play Ori and 100% it now. So then I did that, and now I am playing the Assassin's Creed Odyssey DLC, finally going back timely enough um, and finishing up those DLCs that I never did. That's awesome. That's so, so this is your first time playing Bioshock? Yeah, I had played Bioshock Infinite when that first came out on 360, and I absolutely loved Infinite. And I had, I think, tried the first Bioshock years and years ago. I had it on PC or something. And it was just like, oh, this is a little, little too spoopy for me. And it really, <laughs> then I played it now, and it really wasn't at all. Like, I'm also, I guess, older, so the environment doesn't, like, freak me out as much. Because um, it's not as much a scary game as much as just a scary environment. And um, the unknown makes it kind of scary. But, yeah, it was the first time playing it, which was really cool, even though I knew of some of the twists. But that was okay. Yeah, yeah, it is really cool. I, I, I agree with you. I was super spooked out by the beginning of it too, but then once you kind of get into it, I feel like you, just, you get kind of used to it, and mm -hmm. from there it's easier. Yeah, yeah, once you get past the like the forest garden place, I think it any kind of spook factor goes away. Yeah, and that twist. I feel like that twist always hits hard, even though you know it's coming. I don't know. That's just me though. But yeah, so Ryan, how are you, and what games have you been playing? Uh, I'm pretty good, Eric. We talked uh, three days ago. I've played nothing <laughs> yeah. since then. Um, so I'm just going to say I've been still chipping away at Valhalla. I did play a little Animal Crossing. Uh, I put up a nice big tree down in the downtown area. And I've turned our park into like this light garden, like a Christmas light garden, because there's those beautiful Christmas light trees and reindeer and presents. Uh, but nothing, nothing other than that. Um, how are you? What have you been playing? Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's been like three days since we recorded Firewatch. Nothing's really changed. Still doing good. Um, like you, yeah, I've been playing a lot of time in Animal Crossing still. Uh, I've kind of perfected rolling the snowballs into a snowman. The the twelve seventeen method is really pulling through for me, so I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, yeah, I found more a lot more motivation to go back to that game and play it more, and because of all the holiday stuff. Like I got the the trees and the. Um, the reindeer, the snowflake decoration, so that's going like everywhere um, to a ridiculous amount. So it's good. I just, I'm trying desperately to get rid of one villager who just I've had since the beginning and he won't go away. Stu, I hate you. If you somehow hear this podcast, get out of my village. I don't want you anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I've not been playing anything else. So, um, but yeah, so that's awesome. So we're all doing well. That's great. Uh, as always, storygoers, you can write in at Tales from the Cartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. Send us your thoughts, feelings, and perspective on any games that we cover or any future games we plan on covering, and we will happily read those on an episode in the future. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. DM us or comment on our posts. Let us know what you think. And as always, we'll be covering another game today. So actually, Dave, since you're our special guest, you brought the game that we'll be covering today. Do you want to announce to the story goers what that game is? Yes, we are 
going over Assassin's Creed, the original. Uh, this is one of my favorite series mm-hmm. ever made. Uh, so I was, I don't know why it wasn't one that popped into mind initially when we talked about what we wanted to cover, uh, but it makes total sense um, with Valhalla, you know, people still playing, including Bauer playing it right now. It, perfect time to go back in and talk about the crazy story that is Assassin's Creed. Yeah, and actually, it's, it's it's awesome you bring it up. Usually, we talk about our memories, so this is a perfect opportunity. So, Dave, do you have any specific memories of Assassin's Creed? Whether you know when you the first time you played it, or any good thoughts about it that you have? Yeah, Assassin's Creed. I had a bit of a a weird start to my time playing Assassin's Creed because I remember watching when it was first revealed years and years ago, like what two thousand six was probably when it was revealed for the first time, and I was super pumped. I love history. So I was already kind of hooked, just the thought of going back in that time uh, time period and, and experiencing that. And then it came out, and I played it a little bit, and about, I don't know, probably like less than 10 hours in, I was like, well, this is kind of boring. It's very much the same gameplay over and over, and the story didn't hook me. So then I stopped playing, and then Assassin's Creed 2 came out, and everyone loved that. So then I played again, and I was like, okay, well, now I need to go back and, and play Assassin's Creed 1. And then I've, I've been hooked on the series ever since 2 came out, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, always been a mainstay in my my gaming life. I feel like two really defined the series, but mm-hmm. one had a good, did a really good try at like kind of setting it up. Yeah, at least for my for, yeah. How about you, Ryan? Any special memories of the game? Uh, so my first memory of Assassin's Creed is actually I I I don't know if it came out on Xbox at only at first, um, or if it only came out on Xbox originally. I don't remember. My first experience was actually watching my cousin Tyler play it on his Xbox um, because I didn't have anything I could play it on. And then years later, I tried to play it on, I think, a laptop, and it went, I think, at three frames a second. And I played about two hours at three frames a second, which feels like an accomplishment. And then I uh, gave up, and um, I went back years later and and finished it. But um, that was my first experience. But, yeah, similar to both of you guys, uh, it's, it's a series that's always been with me. AC2 was a, a big part of, of that, and then I've, I've kind of stuck with it ever since. Mm-hmm. For me, I remember hearing it the first time in uh, gym class. I had a lot of my friends t- in, the, in my gym class were talking about Assassin's Creed. I didn't know what they were even talking about at the time. Um, I started making fun of the name, but saying that the game was pretty solid. Uh, but I'd never played it until like that summer later. I was at my dad's in New Hampshire, and had nothing to do, and he had an Xbox with Assassin's Creed, so I remember just sitting down, and I just went through the whole game, because I had nothing else to do for like that week I was there. And so I just played through Assassin's Creed, and I remember just loving it so much. But I also remember that jarring feeling of going back to like Assassin's Creed 2, and how fast you climb on things, and then going back to Assassin's Creed 1, and how just like painfully slow it is to climb things, and just mm-hmm. to do things in that game. Um, but yeah, no, other than that, though, I remember just really liking the mystery of the whole story of Assassin's Creed. I loved kind of the present day stuff a lot, just in terms of like where it was even going or kind of trying to make sense of the story in general. Just it was really fun. And I feel like it's kind of lost that appeal in the newer games for me personally. Um, but yeah, so but I think, Ryan, you said that Valhalla kind of has some of those things in it from AC1. Yeah, I mean, from what I've played so far, I'm more interested in the present day in Valhalla than I've been up to this point. Um, There's just some really cool stuff going on um, that kind of turns up the stakes and makes that present day more exciting, which I'm I'm really excited to dive into more of that. I think, like I said previously, I'm, I'm, I'm balancing rushing through the game so I can get to that and making sure I get every single thing, because this game is set up in a really cool way where each region has, like, 
a bar that you have to fill with all the treasures, all the mysteries, and all the artifacts. So, like, I'm, I want to fill all those up before I get there. But, um, yeah, I'm more engaged in this present day than I have been in a while. Um, so that's really exciting. Yeah, I remember actually we talked about it, and I didn't even realize that Odyssey had a present day. I don't remember that at all. Like, I don't remember that being a present thing at all in the game. So um, I definitely missed something playing that game. Dave, do you have any other feelings about... Um, the story in general for the series did you have you like stuck with it or is it kind of just yeah i've always for a series whole I, I i love the modern day stuff that connects it all it really did take a lull from the modern day part from four even through origins i think odyssey was okay with the modern day stuff it did pick up some some a little bit more and and have a little more high stakes i wish you know I, i've done some time take some time reading over the assassin's creed lore there's a lot there but a lot that they kind of came to conclusions outside of the games. Mm-hmm. Like, Juno is a character across all of the Assassin's Creed stories. However, her conclusion of her story takes place in a comic book, which oh. it's kind of cool. But then it makes, if you're just playing the games like me, I don't go and I don't read all of the, the books and the comic books and I don't play the mobile games and all of that where some of that story takes place. If you're just playing the core console games, it feels, well, why'd they never touch on Juno again. Well, oh, well they did, but you got to give buy a comic book and read that. It's just it's an odd choice they make of what they're going to focus on the games and then just handle away from it. Um but I actually haven't started Valhalla yet, and I'm really excited Bauer that you're saying that there's a lot more um modern day stuff in that. And yeah, I'm I'm really excited to get to that now. I'm waiting until I get a Series X to play it cuz I want it to be the first game I play in that perfect experience I want. But now that I'm going through the Odyssey DLC, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold out until I get a Series X. I might just say, whatever, I'll start it, and then I'll transition to the Series X. Because I have a 1X now, and that's what I did with Odyssey. I started it on my base one, and I'm like, I bet this game would look great on a 1X. So I just randomly went one day and bought a 1X just so I could see it. So I'll probably do the same with Valhalla. It's funny that you you mentioned how you like how Assassin's Creed has has gone through so different media different medias, mm-hmm. um, and concludes so many different stories in these different medias. It reminds me a lot of like Kingdom Hearts in that regard mm-hmm. to like just just so many different avenues for this story that it just kind of is becoming convoluted and not making any sense unless you like focus on everything, which is very hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I wonder if they I wonder if they thought they shot themselves in the foot in that regard, but um, they'll probably never say. <laughs> <laughs> But jumping into the background and influences of the game, Assassin's Creed was released November 13th, 2007. Ugh. So long ago. It's crazy. I didn't realize it was... Two, I thought it was like 2010 or something. I don't know. I thought maybe 10 years, but no. It's, it's so long ago. I, I was a sophomore in high school, I think. Something like that. I think um, I was as well. Yeah. 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 You're all roughly the same age, I think, right? I think so. <laughs> That makes sense, yeah. Um, developed by Ubisoft Montreal and published by Ubisoft. Uh, the writer is Corey May. And Corey May is um, was the predominant writer of all the games up to Syndicate, where he left Ubisoft. Uh, but his job was like to make the game as cohesive as possible, to make sense for everybody going through. Um, but I think he eventually left before Origins came out. So I'm not sure if he's still working at some capacity there with the game. But yeah, very. I can't, I can't imagine having that job, trying to keep all of this together it just it, i don't know that just seems like way too much stuff ryan do you want to run th- us through the influences yeah i would i would love nothing more um and i will also say valhalla was also made by ubisoft montreal so keep that in mind um as far as the influence the game began uh, as a 
work in progress title, Prince of Persia, uh, Assassins. Prince of Persia was a big Ubisoft IP um, that I think eventually was taking this spin into this more assassin-focused game. It's inspired by the life of Hassan first Sabah, um, making heavy use of Vladimir Bertol's novel Almut. And, and this group of assassins is based on a real group of individuals who were alive during this time, during the Crusades. Um, they are, there is a real, there was a real assassin's order um, during this time, but obviously um, the other stuff is, is up to the imagination. Were they flying through the air and taking leaps of faith into small into, into small of piles hay. of hay? Yeah, yeah, very well recorded uh, during the Crusades um, right, right. at that time. Yeah, uh, the team had some idea of how the characters dressed from the novel Alamut and other historical works. In all white robes, the red belt, but they had to envision all the other details in the game. Um, and one thing to be aware, I, I, at least for me, when I first played this game, and maybe for you guys as well, is the amount of details in this game when it first came out were incredible. The fact that there was this huge, massive city and so detailed and full of folks uh, was really amazing. Philip Marin had suggested using the Apple of Eden, which the team originally thought to be a humorous aspect for everyone fighting over an apple. However, as they researched in the game more, the team found that many medieval paintings and royalty and other leaders holding circle objects similar to the Globus, Globus Crucigil uh, that presented power and control and recognized an artifact named the Apple of Eden would fit well into the concept. So they like used how often this sphere shows up in history and made that as part of their game, which is really cool and helps add to the kind of conspiracy theory um, backbone of this game, which is really interesting. I love how like this idea, this humorous idea of, of fighting over an apple has become such a huge like story-driven like goal for so many characters in this series. And it's really cool how they tie it. They do, I think they do a really good job tying this into kind of the history of Assassin's Creed and where this apple comes from and in context with like other religions and things like that. It's, it's very fascinating. I like how they, they, they talk a lot about religion in this game, more than I even remember them talking about. Um, so it's really cool. Uh, and assuming this is a French name, I'm going to do my best. Uh, Patrice Delets. Uh, the game, the game good. director, I did my best, uh, had seen a program on DNA and human history and was inspired by the idea that DNA could store human memories, um, which is, again, a core part of this game. Um, and they could have an in-game ma- machine that could use use for time and location jumps, as well explain the other aspects of the game's user interface to the player. Um, so that thing that we'll talk about also allows them to explain out all of any glitches or errors you may encounter in the game, because it's mm-hmm. just kind of part of that machine experience, which is this... <laughs> incredibly smart um you know thing that they ended up leaning into that any error you may have or any fault that you may run into has to do with the fact that the machine you're running from may have some some bugs but yeah those are those the backgrounds and influences that um, we were able to find yeah i remember reading too that like the idea was you're gonna be time hopping to different times throughout like history so i guess one of them would be like jfk's assassination and and things like that but i think that it was just too ambitious of a goal to uh, to do that, especially with the game mechanics being from like you know medieval times to present day, and and how that would all translate together, it'd be super hard. So and it was probably smart on their on their end because now they have so many different games, it's become so marketable and focused on all these time periods. I don't know. Have you guys are you guys surprised at all that Japan has not been one yet? Has not been a game that's been focused on. I feel like it's one of those things that because everyone wants it and has been screaming for it. They're not going to do it unless they know it's going to be absolutely perfect because they're going to get a ton of attention on it, which would lead to a ton of backlash. And it's Ubisoft, so there will be backlash because there will be issues. So I feel like they're just kind of holding off because they don't want to to have to hear that <laughs> and disappoint people. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think if they do do it, it will not be what we're expecting. It won't be like a ninja game. It'll be like the Edo period or some other time period in Japanese history um, just to kind of get away from, hopefully get away from that, if, if they do it. But yeah, I think Dave's 100% right there. I think they have to yeah. wait, especially now that Ghosts of Tsushima came out because that's mm-hmm. going to be too similar mm-hmm. to what people want. So, I mean, it get, that game got a lot of comparisons to Assassin's Creed because of the gameplay, and it's the Assassin's Creed that so many people wanted. So now they're going to have to wait even longer. So, we'll see. Right, yeah, and they did it well, too. Sucker Punch really did a good job with Ghost. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be so much harder, if not impossible, for Ubisoft to even want to try to go for that, that task. I don't know. Hi, future Eric here. I was editing this episode, and I realized that I was calling the character of Malik, Malik, for about a good half of the episode before I realized it. So, uh, first off, I apologize for that. I didn't even realize. And uh, secondly, we will be more careful moving forward in the future with this. So, just pretend like when you hear me say Malik, I'm really saying Malik. And, uh, yeah. So, (laughs) without further ado, we really hope you enjoy the episode regardless, and thank you for listening. Okay. Here you go. The screen loads, the taskbar going from 0 to 100. He wakes up standing in a courtyard. He's dressed in a white robe, hood pulled over his head, leather gauntlets on each forearm, and a large dagger resting on his back. He opens his eyes to see he's standing surrounded by women, their faces completely void of eyes, noses, or mouths, their arms flailing as if pleading with him. He begins to walk, but the women follow, knocking him over as he tries to run away. The world turns red and white as everything quickly fades away. He awakens, surrounded by more people. Their faces also missing. He can hear people talking, their voices echoing around him. Uh, We've got a problem. I I can't anchor him to the memory. Too much psychological trauma. He's rejecting the treatment. Retreating. Desmond, I need you to try and relax. Uh, Let me try and stabilize it. Focus. Listen to the sound of my voice. Recognize what you're seeing isn't real, just a picture in your past. It can't hurt you. The faceless people continue to attack, pushing him back and forth before he falls to the ground. They punch him, kick him, and beat him. He cannot stop the faceless people from hurting him, the pain radiating throughout his body. Damn, it's not working. Give it a moment, Miss Stillman. He'll adjust. The first time is never easy. We're losing him. The world fades away again as if ceasing to exist. A blinding light is all he can see. He awakens, startled as he looks over to see a woman looking down at him. He leans up off the mechanical bed he had just been resting on. Are you okay? The woman was dressed in a white button-up shirt and black skirt, her blonde hair pulled back into a bun and ID badge dangling on her neck. I told you he'd be fine. A man standing by the mechanical bedside, he was older, wearing a white lab coat over his white button-up shirt and red tie, along with his black dress pants. Bastards! The young man leaned off the mechanical bed and sat on the edge. His hair was short and brown, and he sported a white zip-up hoodie and jeans. A visible scar over the left side of his mouth. Now, now, I just saved your life. Saved my life? You kidnapped me. Strapped me into that thing. Animus. It's an animus. The older man points to the mechanical bed. I don't even know you people. Why are you doing this to me? You have information we need, Mr. Miles. Information? I'm a bartender, for Christ's sakes. What do you want me to do, teach you how to mix a martini? We know who you are. What you are. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't play coy with me. This isn't the time. 
You're an assassin, and whether you realize it or not, you've got something my employers want, locked away in that little head of yours. But I'm not an assassin. Not anymore. Yes, your file indicated as much. Something about an escape. Fortunate for us. What do you want from me? For you to do as you're told. The Animus will allow us to locate what we need. Once we have it, you'll be free to go. I am not going back in there. The young man points at the Animus he is sitting on. Then we'll induce a coma and continue our work. When we're done, you'll be left to die. Truth be told, the only reason you're still conscious is because this approach saves us time. You're insane. So what is it, Mr. Miles? Live or die? Lie down. The young man, named Desmond Miles, lays down on the Animus bed. Ha! A wise decision! A screen comes from the Animus across Desmond's face. The screen loads, showing a strange symbol in the long, horizontal strand, resembling that of a DNA structure. Whoa. Where am I? You're inside the Animus. Which is... It's a projector which renders genetic memories in three dimensions. Genetic memories? Seems you'll need a little bit of a tutorial. Very well. Let's start simple. What is a memory, Mr. Miles? It's the recollection of a past event. Specific to the individual remembering the event. Yeah, sure. The older man, named Warren Vidic, continues to explain. His female assistant, Lucy Stillman, stands on the other side of the animus, typing at its keyboard. What if I told you the human body not only housed an individual's memories, but the memories of his ancestors as well? Genetic memory, if you will. Migration. Hibernation. Reproduction. How do animals know when and where to go? What to do? That's just animal instinct. Now you're arguing semantics, Mr. Miles. Whatever you call it, the fact remains. These creatures hold the knowledge first-hand experience. I spent the last 30 years trying to understand why. Our DNA functions as an archive. It contains not only genetic instructions passed down from previous generations, but memories as well. Memories of our ancestors. And the Animus lets you decode and read these DNA files. Precisely. Uh, but there's a problem. This is a specific memory we're trying to access. The screen hovering over Desmond's face goes to the right of the DNA strand. The words memory lot showed prominently. Unfortunately, when we try to open the memory, your mind withdraws. You lack the confidence to step into your ancestor's body. That's what happened earlier. You got knocked out of the target memory and pushed back into a more stable state. Why? It's your subconscious. It's resisting. We found similar reactions among patients who undergo hypnosis to relive traumatic events. They can't jump directly into the specific memory. You need to be eased in. Even then, there can be problems. So how do we fix it? We find a memory you can synchronize with, and we move forward from there. You'll get used to it. This is the closest we can get. So it's where we'll have to start. I'm uploading the tutorial program now. Desmond's vision is filled with a white light as his ancestor's memory loads. The scene fades away and reveals four individuals standing inside what looks like a cavern. Solomon's temple. One individual is an elderly man, while the other three are dressed in identical white robes. Wait! There's another way! This one need not die! An elderly man stands in the cavern as Quick's footsteps approach from behind. A figure in a white robe and hood runs up behind the elderly man and forces him to his knees. The figure in the white robe plunges a hidden blade, resting on the wrist, into the back of the elderly man's neck, killing him. Two onlookers, Malik and Kadar, watch as Altair finishes his kill. An excellent kill. Fortune favors your blade. Not fortune, skill. Watch a while longer, he might learn something. Indeed, he'll teach you how to disregard everything the master's taught us. 
And how would you have done it? I would not have drawn attention to us. I would not have taken the life of an innocent. What I would have done is followed the creed. Nothing is true. Everything is permitted. Understand these words. It matters not how we complete our task, only how it's done. But this is not the way of- My way is better. I will scout ahead. Try not to dishonor us further. What is our mission? My brother would say nothing to me. Only that I would be honored to have been invited. The Master believes the Templars have found something beneath the Temple Mount. Treasure? I do not know. All that matters is that the Master considers it important, else he would not have asked me to retrieve it. Altair continues through the cavern, his exceptional agility being shown off as he jumps across large pits using wooden planks embedded in the cavern walls. As he continues forward through the cavern, Altair comes up on the back of a man standing in place. He recognizes the man's white and red clothing, a Templar. On Altair's left hand were four fingers, his ring finger missing. As he clenched his fist, a hidden blade protruded from the device on Altair's wrist. As the Templar realized too late, Altair plunged his hidden blade into the back of the Templar, killing him and leaving his body on the ground. Three robed individuals, known as the Assassins, walked into a large room. Against one of the walls rested a golden chest. There. That must be the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant. Don't be silly. There's no such thing. It's just a story. Then what is it? Quiet. Someone's coming. Below the assassins, three Templar soldiers enter the room. The head Templar tells the other two with him that they need to open the golden chest for its contents. After they do, they will go after those in a place called Masaif. Altair recognizes the bald Templar wearing a long white cape. Robert de Sab. His life is mine. No! We would want to retrieve the treasure and deal with Robert only if necessary. Altair climbs down a nearby ladder and approaches the Templars. Malik and Kadir follow behind. Hold, Templars. You are not the only ones with business here. Ha! Well, this explains my missing man. And what is it you want? Blood. As he lunges for Robert with his hidden blade, Robert expects the strike and holds Altair back. Altair struggles to free himself from Robert but cannot. You know not the thing in which you meddle, assassin. I spare only that you may return to your master and deliver a message. The Holy Land is lost to him and his. You shall flee now while he has the chance. Stay, and all of you will die. Robert throws Altair through some scaffolding behind him as Rebel closes the opening. Altair is sealed out of the room and separated from Kadar and Malik. Men, to arms, kill the assassins. Altair can hear his assassin brothers fighting against Robert and his Templars. Altair, unable to help, escapes the cavern. As he looks over the city ahead of him, a voice in the Animus echoes out around him as the memory skips ahead. Time fast-forwards to a new location, Masaif, the fortress of the assassins. Altair travels to the large fortress resting in the back of Masaif. He enters inside and passes through the courtyard, his fellow assassins scoffing and staring in disgust as he makes his way to the main building and up the stairs to meet an aged assassin in a black robe. The assassin's master, Al-Mualim. Otair. Master. Come forward. Tell me of your mission. I trust you have recovered the Templar's treasure. There was some trouble, Master. Robert Saab was not alone. When does our work ever go expected? It's our ability to adapt that makes us who we are. This time it was not enough. What do you mean? I have failed you. The treasure? Lost to us. Robert? Escaped. I sent you, my best man, to complete a mission more important than any that has come before, and you return to me with nothing but apologies and excuses. 
I did. Do not speak, not another word. This is not what I expected. We'll need to mount another force. I swear to you, I'll find him. I'll go and... No! You'll do nothing. You've done enough. Where is Malik and Kadar? Dead. Coming in from behind Altair, Malik enters. He's clenching his left arm, which is covered in his blood. No, not dead. Malik! I still live at least. And your brother. Gone. Because of you. Malik points to Altair. Robert threw me from the room. There was no way back. Nothing I could do. Because you would not heed my warning. All of this could have been avoided, and my brother... My brother would still be alive. Your arrogance nearly cost us victory today. Nearly. I brought what your favorite failed to find. Here, take it. Another road man carries in the treasure which was resting inside the golden chest in the cavern. Though it seems I have returned with just more than their treasure. Another assassin, frantic, answers the room. Master, we are under attack. Robert de Sable lay siege to Masayaf's village. So he seeks a battle very well. I will not deny him. Go, inform the others. The fortress must be prepared. As for you, Altair, our discussion will have to wait. You must make for the village. Destroy these invaders. Drive them from our homes. It will be done. Altair runs from the fortress to the village below, killing any hostiles in his path. Once cleared, he returns to his assassin brothers in the fortress. The animus skips ahead in time. Altair is inside the fortress grounds again. He moves, he moves towards the fortress outer walls and stands on a ledge overlooking Robert and his men. Robert threatens Al-Mualim to return the treasure as Robert brings forth an assassin hostage and murders him. As Robert and Al-Mualim argue, the assassin master signals for Altair and two of his assassin brothers to jump. So these night fools what it is to have no fear. Go to God. Altair and his assassin brothers jump from the tall fortress walls. The Templar is watching them as the assassins seemingly end their lives. Taking a leap of faith as the assassins jump forward and fall, landing in mounds of hay resting below. Altair and one other assassin come from the hay as the third assassin has broken their leg. Altair makes his way to the guard tower just overlooking Robert's forces. With his sword, he unleashes a trap, setting several logs rolling down to trample the Templars. The animus skips ahead. Altair stands in front of Al-Mualim and other onlookers, within the courtyard of the fortress. You have done well to drive Robert from here. His force is broken. It should be a long while before he travels us again. Tell me, do you know why you were successful? You listened. Were it that you'd listen in Solomon's temple, Altair, all this would have been avoided. I did as I was asked. No, you did as you were pleased. Malik has told me of the arrogance you displayed, your disregard for our ways. Two assassins restrain Altair. What are you doing? There are rules. We are nothing if we do not abide by the assassin's creed. Three simple tenets, which you seem to forget. I will remind you, first and foremost, stay your blade. From the flesh of the innocent, I know. Al-Mualim slaps Altair across the face. And stay your tongue, unless I give you leave to use it. If you are so familiar with this tenant, then why did you kill the old man inside the temple? He was innocent. He did not need to die. Your insolence knows no bounds. Make humble your heart, child, or I swear I will tear it from you with my own hands. The second tenant is that which gives us strength. Hide in plain sight. Let the people mask you, such as you become one with the crowd. Do you remember? Because as I hear it, you chose to expose yourself, drawing attention before you struck. 
the third and final tenant, the worst of all your betrayals. Never compromise the Brotherhood. Its means should be obvious. Your actions must never bring harm upon us, direct or indirect. Yet your selfish act beneath Jerusalem placed us all in danger. Worse still, you brought the enemy to our home. Every man we lost today was because of you. Al Mullen draws a dagger. I am sorry, I truly am. But I cannot abide a traitor. I am not a traitor. Your actions indicate otherwise. And so you leave me no choice. Peace be upon you, Altair. Al Mullen stabs Altair as he writhes in pain from his wound. A white light envelops Desmond's sight as he wakes up lying down on the Animus. Lucy and Vidic are still standing next to him. Vidic wants to continue to have Desmond progress in Altair's memories, while Lucy does not want to push Desmond too fast. Desmond sits up from the Animus and stands up. He wanders into his room on the right. From the bedroom, he ventures to the bathroom and can hear muffled voices through the walls. He stands on the counter and listens through a vent. He overhears them arguing on how to progress. Lucy assures Vidic that they will find the right memory they need. Desmond stops listening and returns to the main room. Lucy and Vidic are already back. We're done today, Mr. Miles. I suggest that you go to your room and get some rest. Vidic turns and leaves through a different door to the left. Desmond watches Vidic leave and approaches Lucy. So you're really an assassin, like Altair? Yes and no. What do you mean? I was supposed to be one, but I ran away from the farm when I was 16. Farm? Yeah, that's what they call the place where I grew up, the farm. Like Masyaf, I guess, only not so, uh, creepy. Just a small community in the middle of nowhere. About 30 of us living, you know, off the grid. Why? Thought my parents were just crazy hippies, trying to stick it to the man, you know? My dad was always going on about our enemies, how they'd be looking for us, how we'd have to be prepared. No one ever came, nothing ever happened. Why'd you run away? I could never leave the compound. You have any idea what it's like to be trapped in a place, knowing there was a whole world out there I'd never get to see? Don't you miss your parents? No. Far as I'm concerned, they weren't my parents. They were my wardens, and I was their prisoner. Sounds like they only wanted to protect you. With all that's happened, I don't know. I guess they were right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to drudge up the past. It's all right. Gives me something to think about. Try and get some sleep. We've got a long day ahead of us tomorrow. I got a question for you before I turn in. Sure. How did they find me? I mean, I haven't been anywhere near another assassin for ten years. Use your real name? Nope. Not before today. Credit cards? Cash only. Telephone? There's no one to call. Driver's license? Motorcycle. Guilty pleasure. That's your answer. Photo, fingerprint. This is a drug company. What does Abstergo have to do with the DMV? Desmond, these guys are everywhere. They... Look around us. Lucy looks around the room and seems unsettled. I... I'm sorry. I, I can't really talk about it. Lucy ignores Desmond as he returns to his room. The door shuts behind him. Damn it! They locked the door. Desmond lays down in his bed and goes to sleep. As he begins to drift off, flashes of red symbols written on the wall invade his peripherals. Alright, so I want to take a quick break here. So we kind of had the, the introduction to the game. So Dave, so far, how are you feeling about the story? I think it's a, you know, a nice kind of introduction without telling you too much and is kind of really gripping gripping you right and i can even remember back to when i 
to when I first experienced this. And there's a lot of mystery going on of... Mm -hmm. I used to be an assassin, but what does that mean? Because the only assassins we've seen already in this game so far are, you know, Altair and and his group. So I guess, you know, assassins have gone all through history. You're learning pretty quickly, and it's not just a memory thing. So it's, yeah, it's it's hooks you a bit. Like, I you need to know more at this point. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I think that's one of its better qualities, is that it's so mysterious as to what's really happening. That's very, it just kind of like grips you and makes you want to keep going. Um, they've done really good characterization of, of kind of this comparison of Altair and Desmond. Um, Altair, we, we learn right away, is believes himself to be really capable, but doesn't follow some kind of directions that we don't really fully understand in the moment. And we get some information later. There's some creed he's supposed to follow, and there's these rules. It all feels very, very structured. And, and like they've said, it's all kind of surrounded in mystery. And that mystery makes it engaging and interesting. Um, the... Lucy and Desmond dynamic feels interesting and far different than the Desmond and Vidic dynamic. And the mm -hmm. Vidic and Lucy dynamic is also a totally separate other experience that we don't really know who these pieces are and how they interact with each other or what it all is going on. Um, so I think it set up this really interesting hook um, that uh, to keep us keep us invested, just like Dave said. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're kind of seeing too that um, Lucy seems to really care about Desmond's well-being, not pushing him too far. Um, whereas Vidic is very gung-ho on about going as fast as possible. Um, but they seem like they're going towards the same goal. So it's very interesting to see that dynamic kind of playing back and forth while Desmond just seems like this little like puppet being played with, you know, by these two people. So yeah, it's very interesting. And it's, and it's kind of cool as we're getting context to Desmond's life, um, but without going too far into it. Talking about this farm and his parents, and he has a really poor relationship with them, it sounds like. And just and wanting nothing to do with this assassin's brotherhood that seemingly lasted centuries from when Altair was assassin to, to now as Desmond's being kidnapped by this this pharmaceutical company. Um, so yeah, super cool. It's super interesting and the, the mystery of it really sticks with you. And I gotta say that Altair is kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I really like the dynamic they've set up where Desmond is a character who's trying to run away from being an assassin, is not interested in it at all. And Altier is wants to be an assassin but isn't following the right rules. And that choice is picking those two characters and having having their arcs be possibly somewhat intertwined, I think is really interesting. Yeah, like different ends of the spectrum almost. Yeah. Desmond wakes up the next morning in his bed with Vidic hovering over him. Got to say that's a little creepy, doc. Waking up to you standing over me? You've been watching me sleep? We're always watching you. Now get up. You've got a lot of work to do. Ooh, wonder who I get to kill today. Don't be so cavalier. Your ancestors almost had the right idea, Mr. Miles. If the deaths of a few people, evil people no less, could save the lives of thousands more, well, it seems a small sacrifice. What do you mean, almost? They didn't go far enough. To do use a rather tired analogy, corruption is no different than cancer. Cut out the tumors but fail to treat the source and, well, you're buying time at best. There's no true change to be had without comprehensive, systematic intervention. Chemo for the masses. Education. Re-education, to be more precise. But it's not that easy. And it doesn't always take. Let me guess. You got a better solution. What is it then? <laughs> now that would be telling. Vidic leaves the room as Desmond follows and lays down on the animus. The screen comes forward over Desmond's face and his vision fades to white. He awakens as Altair, alive in the library of Masave's fortress. 
Al Mualim stands in front of him at his desk. I, I am alive, but you stabbed me. I felt death's embrace. You saw what I wanted you to see, and then you slept the sleep of the dead, of the womb that you might awake and be reborn. To what end? Do you remember, Altair, what it is the assassins fight for? Peace in all things. Yes, in all things. It is not enough to end the violence one man commits upon another. It refers to the peace within as well. You cannot have one without the other. So it is said. So it is. But you, my son, have not found inner peace. It manifests in ugly ways. You are arrogant and overconfident. Were you not the one to say nothing is true, everything is permitted? You do not understand the true meaning of this phrase, my child. It does not grant you freedom to do as you wish. It is acknowledgement to guide your senses. It expects a wisdom you clearly lack. Then what is to become of me? I should kill you for the pain that you have brought upon us. Malik thinks it's only fair, your life in exchange for his brothers. But this would be a waste of my time and your talent. You'll see that you've been stripped of your positions, your rank as well. You are a novice, a child once more, as you were on the day that you first joined our order. I am offering you a chance of redemption. You'll earn your way back into the Brotherhood. I assume you have something planned. First, you must prove to me you remember how to be an assassin. So you'd have me take a life? No, not yet, at least. For now, you are to become a student once again. There's no need for this. Others track your targets for you, but no more. From today on, you will track them yourself. If this is what you wish. It is. Then tell me what I must do. We have been betrayed. Someone is assisting Robert de Saab, one of our own. We must find him and bring him here for questioning. What can you tell me of the traitor? Ah, but that's just it. I've given you all I will. The rest is up to you. Altair leaves the library. He passes through the courtyard as he attempts to leave the fortress. But as he attempts to leave the fortress, another assassin approaches him. The assassin reminds an annoyed Altair on how to eavesdrop, pickpocket, and use violence to intimidate. Altair leaves to explore the village to find his target. Using his special eyesight, known as Eagle Vision, Altair can see friend from foe. Those who are an ally light up as blue, while his enemies shine red. Altair uses his skills as he silently and inconspicuously gathers information from the villagers around him. While searching, Altair comes across an individual with a letter from the assassin traitor. He is able to steal that letter and learns his assassin brother, Masun, is the traitor in question. Altair crosses the village and finds Masun preaching to the villagers around him. Altair sees Masun preaching about Al-Malim, being a traitor and how he needs to be stopped. As he finished his speech and leaves, Altair follows behind him and assaults him when the coast is clear. Enough! I yield! I yield! Speak quickly, then. I have no interest in your games. Why do you betray us? And who do you serve? We serve the Templars. You should, too. Their cause is just. We? Jamal. He told me of their plans. He asked me to open the gate. You betrayed us. We, who called you brother, and kept you safe from harm. I did what I believed was right, and if you must kill me for it, so be it. I'm not afraid to die. Your fate is not for me to decide. It is Amulim who will be the judge. The animus skips ahead. The scene shifts to the library of the Assassin Fortress. Altair has brought Masun before Amulim. You stand accused of betraying our brotherhood and opening the way for our enemies. How do you answer for these charges? I deny nothing. I am proud of what I did. My only regret is that they failed. I offer you a chance to repent, 
to renounce the evil in your heart. It is not evil in my heart, but truth. I will not repent. Then you will die. Al-Mualim draws his blade and quickly murders Masan. You did well, Altair, and have earned the right to carry a blade once more. Al-Mualim hands him the sword, just used to end Masan's life. Altair holds the blade tight in his hand. What will become of the one who helped him? That remains to be seen. Some do ill out of ignorance or fear. These men can be saved. Others suffer from corrupted wills, their minds poisoned and twisted. These men must be destroyed. Soon enough we shall see what sort Jamal is. I have passed your test then. What now? Oh, my child, we've only just begun. I hold here a list. Nine names adorn it. Nine men who need to die. They are plague-bringers, war-makers. Their power and influence corrupt the land and ensure the Crusades continue. You will find them, kill them. In doing so, you sow the seeds of peace, both in the region and for yourself. In this way, you might be redeemed. Nine lives in exchange for mine. A most generous offer, I think. Have you any questions? Only where I need begin. Very well. Ride to Damascus. Seek out the black market merchant named Tamir. Let him be the first to fall. Be sure to visit the city's Assassin's Bureau when you arrive. I'll dispatch a bird to inform the Rafiq of your arrival. Speak to him. You'll find he has much to offer. Al-Malim lets out a carrier pigeon loose, and it flies out the window. If you think it's best. I do. Besides, you cannot begin your mission without his consent. What nonsense is this? I do not need permission. It's a waste of time. It's the price you've paid for the mistakes you've made. You'll answer not only to me, but all the Brotherhood as well. So be it. Take your equipment and go. Prove you are not yet lost to us. Altair reclaims some of his lost equipment, including his hidden blade, and fastens it to his left forearm. He closes his fist as the hidden blade extends forward and stands where his ring finger should be. He promptly leaves the library and the assassin's fortress, gets on his horse, and rides to Damascus. Altair arrives at the city of Damascus and successfully saves a scholar's life who allows him to sneak into the city. Once inside, Altair climbs a nearby tower to get a view of the city and spots the assassin's bureau he needs to go to before killing his target. He heads there and is greeted by a Rafiq, or otherwise known as a scholar, of the assassin's brotherhood. The Rafiq tells Altair about his brother's disdain for him and his lack of commitment to the creed. Altair brushes the Rafiq's words away. The Rafiq tells Altair about his target, Tamir, He's a black market merchant and instructs Altair to go get information on him. Altair does so, collecting intel across Damascus and bringing it back to the Rafiq, stating that the Tamir is the largest death dealer in the land, supplying arms and armor to those with money. Altair plans to ambush Tamir in an arranged meeting, the largest deal Tamir has ever had. Satisfied with his plan, the Rafiq places a marker, a feather, on the counter. Altair takes it and stores it in his robe. Let all more limbs will be done. You may rest here until you are ready. The animus skips ahead. Altair rests at the Assassin's Bureau. Ready to leave, he sets out forward to the Shuk al-Salah, where Tamir's deal is going to be done. Once here, Altair watches as Tamir yells at a merchant. Due to the merchant's failing to fill Tamir's order, he is killed in front of all those who are watching. Tamir leaves the merchant's body as a reminder to all those that obeying is not an option. Tamir walks around, stopping at each market stall and speaking with their merchants. Altair blends in amongst the crowd of people, waiting for his opportunity. As Tamir continues to walk into the market, lowering his guard with every step he took, 
Altair moved closer, extended his hidden blade resting on his forearm and plunged it into the Templar's neck. The world around Altair and Tamir fades away, leaving them only in a bright white world devoid of life. Altair lays Tamir on the ground as blood pools out around Tamir's wound. Be at peace. You'll pay for this, you and all your kind. It seems you're the one who pays now, my friend. You'll not profit from suffering any longer. You think me a petty death dealer suckling at the breast of war? A strange target, don't you think? Why me, when so many others do the same? You believe yourself different, then? Oh, but I am, for I serve a far nobler cause than mere profit, just like my brothers. Brothers? Ah, but he thinks I act alone. I am but a piece, a man with a part to play. You'll come to know the others soon enough. They won't take kindly to what you've done. Good. I look forward to ending their lives as well. Such pride. It will destroy you, child. Tamir passes on as his body goes cold and lifeless. Altair takes the feather given to him by the Rafik and draws it over the wound, coating it with the blood of his victim. Altair flees the scene as the city's soldiers try and stop him. After losing the soldiers, Altair returns to the Assassin's Bureau. Word has reached me of your victory, Altair. You have my gratitude and my respect. Thank you. It is a shame that the other assassins continue to hold you in such poor regard. Rafik, I do not care what others think of me. As you wish, Altair. You should bring news of your victory to Al-Malim. I'm sure he has more work for you to do. The animus skips forward, and the screen fades to white yet again. Desmond awakes and gets up off the animus. Vidic and Lucy stand by him. Out of the machine, Mr. Miles. What's the matter, Doc? Miss Stillman is once again insisting I let you rest. Vidic leaves the room. Through a large doorway, Desmond approaches Lucy. So, feel like telling me who put the stick up his ass? We have a deadline. One week. Well, six days now. Deadline? I, I can't talk about it. Man, put yourself in my shoes. I'm being held hostage by a group of scientists, at least I think you're scientists, and forced to stay all day in some crazy-ass machine. You won't tell me what you're looking for or why you want it, but I'm supposed to be thanking you for keeping me alive? This is so fucked. Sorry, but it is. What do you want me to do? Hmm, let's see. I don't know. Maybe give me some answers? I can't. It's, it's better this way. It's safer. It's safer for who? Both of us. The conversation drops as Desmond collects himself. He approaches Lucy again. Hey, you know what? I've got a question I think you can actually answer. What's up? Why is it that sometimes the guys in there talk like they're from the future? The, the future? I I mean the present. Now, today, whatever. Uh, you, you've probably noticed English has become the official language of the Holy Land. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. The Animus is translating speech, it deems, vital into more modern English. So expect a few anachronisms. I could probably make it more authentic, but you ever read Chaucer? Who? Yeah, definitely not for you. Can you tell me more about Abstergo? What goes on here, beyond the whole keeping me prisoner thing? Abstergo is one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. Their primary focus is antidepressants. There's some information on the computer over there. But you already said this isn't about testing a drug. So what's the deal? I don't like where this is going. So it's safe to assume the Animus is not part of their public face. What, you haven't seen the commercials? <laughs> oh my god, she has a sense of humor. 
I'm sorry, Desmond. I've got a lot of work to do. Like I said, if you want to know more about the company, take a look at the computer. Uh, the telecommunication stuff is particularly interesting. Desmond ignores the computer and goes back to his room. He lays on his bed and falls asleep. As he falls asleep, another flash of mysterious writing flashes in his mind. All right, so stop right there. So Altair has made his first kill. Desmond's really learned absolutely nothing of what's going on. Um, and we kind of see the disdain the other assassins kind of have. We're not seeing it, but we're kind of learning more about the other disdain the assassins have for, for Altair himself. And Altair doesn't seem to care. So, Ryan, what did you think of this, this first killing and his goal of killing these nine people? Um, from a story perspective, I think it's a really good hook to have these nine clear targets. Um, it's a really great way to kind of set up this story where... You've now one done one target, and then you're going to move on to the next and the next. It's very cleared and laid out for you, but there's still a lot of mystery there. And that conversation between Altair and that target, Tamir, mm-hmm. was really interesting. And even though it didn't really answer any questions, it kind of um, just gave us more questions and gave us more of there's more going on here than, than we're aware of, which I thought was really cool and interesting. Um, and I will say, having very recently played uh, Valhalla, there is a scene that is almost identical to this that is now so cool, and I need to go back and replay oh, it. Oh, that is so cool. It's, I like that how it sounds like from from your perspective, Ryan, that, that they've taken a lot of the stuff that really worked in this game, and they're bringing it to Valhalla, or they brought it to Valhalla, which is, which is awesome. I don't know, it's so cool. Um, Dave, what do you think about the, the nine kill list? And uh, is that a good story goal to have, you think? Or is it kind of like... Is it a very, um, what's what I'm trying to think of? Is it a very kind of redundant thing? I think it's a very convenient story goal to have. Um, yeah. Oh, we got to go do these nine things. And it, it kind of sets up the whole framework of how the story is going to go. It's it's going to be very much a um, an assassin out going from target to target to target. And this section does a really good job, though, of setting up. While it seems at first it's going to be, I'm just going to go kill these nine people. Well, there's actually a lot more going on, like about, like uh, Ryan had said, a lot more going on than we know, which is kind mm-hmm. of mirrored with the the modern day section here, where there's a lot more going on here than we know too. Abstergo, this well-known drug company, clearly has its hands in more things than just a drug that people are aware of. So it's a nice kind of um, a mirror between Altair's story and Desmond's story right now uh, of setting that up. Yeah, definitely. Actually, you guys make really good points about Desmond and Altair's perspectives of their situations and how they're very similar. I never realized that actually before you guys brought that up, how similar they are in that regard in their stories, even though they're, they're obviously in very different places um, in time and in their lives. Uh, so that's, that's so cool. I never realized that before. Um, yeah. I think they do such a good job mixing in this, this mystery in without giving you too much at a time. Now we know a little bit more about Abstergo and that it's a pharmaceutical company, but this whole thing with the, the animus is something that no one else knows. It's on the inside. Um, whereas Altair has now been tasked with killing these nine people. And because he's been stripped of his rank, I think he's not going to question the people he's killing because he just wants so desperately to get back to where he was, I think. Um, in, this, in the rankings of the Assassin's Order, he, he seemed like he was a very prominent figure. And now, um, though despised by the other Assassins, it sounds like, um, he is still motivated to rise the ranks again, um, which seems very convenient to him of a task given by Al-Malim. So, yeah, very interesting stuff. I like it a lot. And I think as, as we're talking about the whole nine target thing, I was I almost thought of like Shadows of the Colossus in that regard, how it's mm-hmm. like very similar in that way. But I think, I, I'd almost say that Assassin's Creed does it better because it's just a little more interesting in the mystery of what's going on. 
Um, Shadow of the Colossus, I think, is a lot more simplified in that regard, where it's like very straightforward. Like you just have to go and kill and kill and kill these these colossi. Whereas in Assassin's Creed, you're collecting information, you're learning about your targets more and the deeds that they're doing. Um, but what I like about this, as we're about to jump into more of the, the the killing, perspective is everything, as we talk on the show a lot. So how Altair sees the situation and how his targets see the situation are typically two different things. So then who is right? So storygoers, keep that idea in mind as we continue on through the story. Desmond wakes up from his sleep to find Vidic standing in his room yet again. Let's go, Mr. Miles. Time's wasting. As Vidic leaves, Desmond gets up and leaves his room. He walks out the main room to where the Animus awaits him. Where's Lucy? Oh, don't worry. She'll be with us soon enough. So why are you doing all this, Doc? What are you hoping to accomplish? You turned on the television lately. Read the newspaper. Never cared much for that stuff. Then let me sum it up for you. The world's a mess. It's pathetic. Really. You've seen it firsthand yourself. A thousand years between you and your ancestor and society means as just as barbaric. Just as stupid. And your point is? Order, Mr. Miles. The world needs order. That is what we're looking towards, and that is what you're helping us to achieve. <laughs> you expect me to believe you're building a better tomorrow? That's exactly what we're doing. A human race calls out for direction. They want to know why they're here, what they're meant to do. Well, we're going to tell them. And once they understand how to live their lives, everything will be better. Better how? An end to all conflicts, large and small. Isn't that what you assassins strive for? Peace in all things? I told you, I'm not an assassin. Right, right. <sighs> I still don't see where I fit into things. In time, Mr. Miles. In time, you'll understand. Or you won't. I don't care either way. As long as you show us where it is. Where what is? Lucy walks into the room, interrupting the conversation. Uh, sorry, I'm late. Uh, ready to go? Yes, we are. Vidic and Lucy stare at Desmond, who understands what he has to do. Laying back down on the Animus, Desmond's vision blurs as he awakens again as Altair. Altair in the library of Masaif. He stands before Amwalim. You've done well, Altair, and I'm confident this is the first of many successes. Tamir spoke as if he knew you well. He implied my work had a larger meaning. Significance comes not from a single act, but the context in which it is performed. The consequences born of it. Then is there more I need to know? Altair, your greatest fear was born of knowing too much. If I chose to withhold information, it's only to ensure that you make the same mistake a second time. I see. No, you don't. It will remain this way until you've learned your lesson. Still, you have performed competently. And as such, I restore a rank and will return a piece of your equipment. Go now, either to Akram or Jerusalem. There are men in both cities who require your attention. The Bureau of Leaders can tell you more of what needs to be done. Al-Mualim releases two more carrier pigeons. Altair reclaims more of his lost equipment and leaves. He departs to Acre in Jerusalem, slaying the human experimenting Templar doctor Garner with a death-dealing blow to his neck. Altair lays Garner down to the ground as he did with Tamir. The world fades again into a void of nothing as the two speak. Garner asks what will become of those under his care. As Altair scoffs at Garner's viewpoint of the ill-treated patients, Garner proclaims he treated them, allowing them to be free from the prisons of their minds. Altair returns to Al-Mualim to report the death of Garner. Have you news for me, Altair? 
Garner de Naplus is dead. Excellent. He could not have hoped for a more agreeable outcome. And yet... What is it? The doctor insisted his work was noble, and looking back, those who were supposed to be his captive seemed grateful to the man. Not all of them, but enough to make me wonder, how did he manage to turn enemy into friend? Leaders will always find ways to make others obey them, and that is what makes them leaders. When words fail, they turn to coin. When that doesn't work, they resort to baser things, bribes, threats, other types of trickery. There are plants, Altair, herbs from distant lands that can make a man take leave of his senses. So great are the pleasures it brings, men may even become enslaved by it. You think these men were drugged then? Poisoned? Yes, if it truly was as you describe it. Herbs, this seems a strange method of control. Our enemies have accused me of the same. The promise of paradise. They think there is a garden overflowing with women and pleasure. But I drug you as Garner did his men and tempt you with its rewards. They do not know the truth of it. Which is how it must be. But if they knew the truth of it, that all we seek is peace. Then they would not fear us, and we would have no hold over them. Go. It is your time to continue your work. Another rank is restored to you, as is a piece of your equipment. We'll speak again when the next has fallen. Altair takes another piece of equipment from the table and rides to Jerusalem. At the next Assassin's Bureau, Altair sees a familiar face. Safety and peace, Malik. Your presence here deprives me of both. What do you want? Al-Mulim has asked me. A asked you that you perform some menial task in the effort to redeem yourself. So be out with it. Tell me what you can about the one they call Talal. It is your duty to locate and assassinate the man, Altair, not mine. You do well to assist me. His death benefits the entire land. Do you deny his death benefits you as well? Such things do not concern me. Your actions very much concern me. Then don't help me. Find him myself. Wait, wait. It won't do having you stumble around the city like a blind man. Better you know where to begin your search. I'm listening. I can think of three places south of here in the markers that line the border between the Muslim and Jewish districts. To the north, here in the mosque of the district and east in front of the St. Anne's Church, close to the Babariab Gate. Is that everything? It's enough to get you started. More than you deserve. Althea leaves the bureau after collecting the necessary information on Talal. Malik. Come to waste more of my time. I found Talal. I'm ready to begin my mission. That is for me to decide. Very well. Here's what I know. He traffics in human lives, kidnapping Jerusalem citizens and selling them into slavery. His base is in a warehouse located inside the Barbican north of here. As we speak, he prepares a caravan to travel. I'll strike while he's inspecting his stock, if I can avoid his men. Talil himself should prove little challenge. Little challenge? Listen to you, such arrogance. Are we finished? Are you satisfied with what I've learned? No, but it will have to do. Malik presents the feather, and Altair takes it. Rest, prepare, cry in the corner, do whatever you do before a mission. Only make sure you do it quietly. The animus skips ahead. Altair awakes from his slumber and leaves to collect Talal's life. Making it to his warehouse, Talal confronts Altair, who quickly kills his soldiers and ends Talal's life with his blade. Talal is laid down as he dies, speaking to Altair. As Altair and Talal enter the void world, Talal proclaims that he is not selling people into slavery, but rather helping them to have a higher purpose. When Altair questions this, Talal proclaims his god abandoned him long ago and that his actions saved the beggars, whores, addicts, and lepers in his care. As his final breath leaves his body, Talal passes away. 
Altair strokes the feather across Tawal's neck, covering it in blood and returning it to Malik in the Assassin's Bureau. Altair, wonderful to see you return to us, and how fared the mission? The deed is done. Talal is dead. Oh, I know, I know. In fact, the entire city knows. Have you forgotten the meaning of subtlety? A skilled assassin ensures his work is noticed by the many. No, a skilled assassin maintains control of his environment. You can argue the details all you like, Malik, but the fact remains. I've accomplished the task set to me by Al-Malum. Go then. Return to the old man. Let us see whom he sides. You and I are on the same side, Malik. Malik refuses to speak any more to Altair, who turns and leaves from Asaif. The world begins to fall away as Desmond awakes from the Animus. Alright, so, take a quick moment to stop. Altair's killed two more people. Again, as he kills these people, he says, like, why would you do this? So for this human experimenting doctor, like, he's been experimenting on these patients against their will. Um, but to the doctor, he is saving them from the prisons of their minds. So it's this, this this perspective thing, whereas, you know, Altair sees what he's, Garner's doing is evil, whereas Garner sees himself as being the savior for the people. So, um, Dave, do you feel like this is setting up for anything in the future in this game? Or, like, do you see the, the different perspectives or notice that when you first played the game? There's a lot of questions I asked, sorry. Yeah, I, I think this, this part of the game kind of shows you a few things. One being every action that somebody takes, they think is for a just cause, and not every cause is going to be looked at the same way i guess um you know the these people that he is that he is assassinating truly believe what they're doing is right and i think you can see that kind of messing with altair's mind a little bit especially with the doctor um am i doing the right thing here and and you know takes people mm -hmm. out when what they're doing seems to be possibly correct and the people that they did this to were were grateful and I think that is just kind of starting to play into Altair's mind a little bit and kind of into the player's mind too, which we're just doing what we're told to do, just like Altair is, where we're told to go to go kill this person. Um, and I, I think there's some good foreshadowing in this section too, um, without, you know, pulling too much of the story ahead when Amwalim is talking about, you know, a, a good leader finds ways to make others obey them. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's some really good foreshadowing through the rest of this game yeah it's 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 a lot of uh foreshadowing and a lot of like almost irony i feel like <laughs> in a sense mm -hmm. without giving too much away um i wish i knew where this came from i feel like this is like a, a more recent kind of a quote but the uh the quote i always think of with this is um the best villains think they're the heroes they're the ones that you kind of identify they're the more uh relatable villains because from their perspective they're doing the right thing but they don't see themselves as villains um so then it becomes more of a, a gray situation rather than a black and white situation. You know, from, from Garner's perspective, Altair is stopping him from saving people. You know, Altair is saving people from him, from Garner. So, yeah, it's just, it's hard to know who's right and who's wrong if there even is such a thing as right and wrong in the situation. Besides the act of taking someone else's life against their will, obviously. So, yeah, I like the, I like the perspective thing. I never really paid attention to it when I first played the game because I was just kind of too young to really care. I just wanted to kind of assassinate everybody. Um, <laughs> being a 15-year-old <laughs> playing a game about assassins. But, um, but looking back at it now, I, I, I see the, how interesting they, they made this story about kind of the characters and, and their uh, overall goals in this and who's right and who's wrong. So, very cool. I think in future games, too, they build more upon this idea 
um, even though maybe not in the modern day stuff, but in, in games like Rogue and Black Flag, they play a lot more with this gray area. And even in somewhat in 3, as which side, whether it's the assassins or um, this other side, who I don't know if we've identified these folks as being that other side yet, um, or not, but they do a really good job of playing the gray and the back and forth. They both want the same goals, it's just how they're going about it is very different. Yeah, yeah. As Desmond wakes from the Animus, Vidic's voice can be heard. He's furious at the Animus overheating. He leaves the room in frustration as Desmond approaches Lucy, calling Vidic a dick. Lucy explains to Desmond that Vidic believed in her research when no one else did. It was research that helped to improve the Animus project when all others laughed at her. Desmond tells Lucy goodbye and leaves for his room. As he enters, he notices his closet door open. He inspects his closet but finds nothing that stands out. He lays down his bed and begins to fall asleep again, seeing mysterious writings flash in his mind. The symbols, mostly including Japanese characters, but with the Greek symbol for Omega included. After sleeping, Vidic wakes Desmond up again and insists he continue his progress in the Animus. Rise and shine. We've got quite a day ahead of us. You're in a good mood this morning. Miss Stillman has made some modifications to the Animus. You should be able to remain inside even longer now. And help you with your treasure hunt. This is serious business, Mr. Miles. I don't think you fully appreciate the work that Abstergo does. Maybe it's because I don't actually know what you people do. We change the world. Every day in a hundred different ways. Did you know that every single breakthrough in the past millennia, be it medical, mechanical, or philosophical, has come from Abstergo or its predecessors? That's a bold claim, Doc. Think you might be exaggerating a bit? Not in the slightest. Oh, we certainly don't take the credit. That would be arousing far too much suspicion. We choose our benefactors with great care. Why? Isn't it obvious? It means we're in control. But how? What makes you guys so special, so smart? That you happen to invent all these things while we mere mortals stumble around like idiots? To be fair, we don't invent them. We find them. Find them? They're gifts, Mr. Miles, from those who came before. We'll have to continue this discussion later. Time's wasting. Vidic turns, a smile still on his face as he leaves Desmond's room. Desmond gets out of bed and falls behind. Good morning, Desmond. Yeah. Hi. Like before, Desmond lays on the Animus as it takes him to the past again as Altair. Waking up as his ancestor again, Altair awaits in Masaif in the Assassin Fortress. Come in, Altair. You've done well. Three of the nine lay dead, and for this you have my thanks. But do not think to rest upon your laurels. Your work has just begun. I am yours too, man, master. King Richard, emboldened by his victory of Acre, prepares to move south towards Jerusalem. Salah Hadid is surely aware of this, and so he gathers his men before he's broken Citadel of Arsaf. Would you have me kill them, both then? End their war before it begins in earnest. No, to do so would scatter their forces and subject their realm to the bloodless of ten thousands aimless soldiers. It will be many days before they meet, and while they march, they do not fight. You must concern yourself with more immediate threat. The men who pretend to govern in their absence. Give me names, and I'll give you blood. So I will. Abud Nakud, the wealthiest man in Damas. Maj Dodin, regent of Jerusalem. And William Mufara, liege lord of Acre. What are their crimes? Greed, arrogance, the slaughter of innocents. Walk amongst the people of their cities. You'll learn the secrets of their sins. 
Do not doubt that these men are obstacles to peace we seek. Then they will die. Another of your items is restored. Take it. See that it is put to good use. Return to me as each man falls, and we may better understand their intentions. Al-Malim lets out three more carrier pigeons. In Altair, your recent work will more likely attract the attention of the city guard. They'll be more suspicious than they have been in the past. Altair retrieves his equipment and rides off, slaying Abdul Nakud and William of their greediness for stealing from the peoples. When questioned by Altair, Abdu claimed that his actions were justified in that of minor evils of killing for the greater good of everyone. Williams claimed his stealing from the people helped them to prepare for the new world and taught them order and discipline. Altair, confused by these men's perception of their actions, approached his master, Al-Malim, back in Masaif. Come, Altair, I have news of your progress. I have done as you asked. Good, good. I sense your thoughts are elsewhere. Speak your mind. Each man I'm sent to kill speaks cryptic words to me. Each time I come to you and ask for answers, each time you give only riddles in exchange, but no more. Who are you to say no more? I'm the one who does the killing. If you want it to continue, you'll speak straight with me for once. Tread carefully, boy. I do not like your tone. I do not like your deception. I have offered you a chance to restore your lost honor. Not lost. Taken. By you. And then you've sent me to fetch it again, like some damned dog. Al-Mualim draws his sword. It seems I'll need to find another. A shame. You showed such great potential. I think if you had another, you'd sent them long ago. You said the answer to my questions would arise when I no longer need to ask it. So I will not ask. I demand. Tell me what binds these men. What you say is true. These men are connected. By a blood oath not unlike our own. Who are they? Nonobis Domine. Nonobis. Templars? Now you see the true reach of Robert de Saab. All of these men, leaders of cities, commanders of armies, all pledge allegiance to his cause. Their work are not meant to be viewed on their own, are they? But as a whole, what do they desire? Conquest. They seek the holy land not in the name of God, but for themselves. What of Richard? Sahadin? Any who oppose the Templars will be destroyed. Be assured they have the means to accomplish it. Then they must be stopped. That is why we do our work, Altair, to ensure a future free of such things. Why did you hide the truth from me? That you might pierce the veil yourself. Like any task, knowledge precedes action. Information learned is more valuable than information given. Besides, your recent behavior has not inspired much confidence. I see. Altair, your mission has not changed, merely the context in which you perceive it. And armed with this knowledge, I might better understand those Templars that remain. Is there anything else you wish to know? What about the treasure, Malakotived from Solomon's temple? Robert seemed desperate to have it back. In time, Altair, all will become clear. Just as the role of the Templars has revealed itself to you, so too will the nature of their treasure. For now, take comfort in the fact that it is not in their hands, but ours. If this is your desire. It is. You are restored another rank. Take back your weapon. Use it to bring honor to the Brotherhood. Altair prepares to leave. Altair, before you go. Yes? How did you know I wouldn't kill you? Truth be told, Master, I didn't. I took a leap of faith. Once again, Altair reclaims more of his lost equipment. He departs the fortress and Masaif. He rides for Jerusalem again, finding Malik at the Assassin's Bureau and collecting his intelligence, Amaj. Maj planned to publicly execute a fellow assassin and needed to be stopped. Arriving at the execution block... Altair stopped Maj with a stab to his neck. 
When asked why he behaved the way he did, Maj proclaimed to enjoy determining others' fates and feeling like a god. Annoyed by Maj, Altair stabs him again in the neck, finishing him off and taking his life. With a swipe of the feather on Maj's wound, Altair went back to Malak. Jerusalem needs a new ruler. So I've heard. What's this? No words of wisdom for me? Surely I failed in some spectacular fashion. You performed as an assassin should, no more, no less. That you expect praise for merely doing as told, however, troubles me. It seems that everything I do troubles you. Reflect on that, but do so on your way back to Masaif. Your work here is done. The world around Altair collapses as Desmond wakes up from the Animus. Desmond gets off the Animus, facing Vidic and Lucy. We done already? Get up! Whatever you say, Doc. Vidic walks away and his phone rings. He answers it. I'm ending the session. I'll be right there. You're sure about this? Yes. No, everything's Denver. I don't see how he could... Of course, I understand. Vidic hangs up. You're in a lot of trouble, Mr. Miles. What's his problem? They're coming for you. Who's coming for me? Assassins. Hey, I had nothing to do with this. Sounds like they're mounting some kind of rescue attempt. I guess you're more important than you realize. Man, things just keep getting weirder and weirder around here. Vidic leaves the large door. It's bound to happen. What do you mean? This little fight your ancestors started in the Third Crusade, it, it never ended. You're being held by Templars. Vidic's a Templar? There's no way you could have known. They, they hit it so well. But to answer your question, Vidic works for them. We all do. Abstergo is their company. I, I thought Templars were old dudes with funny hats who sat around drinking beer and plotting world domination with the, like, lizard people. No, except the world domination part, I guess. Look, Desmond, it's complicated. Half the stuff they say about the Templars comes from crazy tinfoil hat-wearing nutjobs. The other half is misinformation intentionally produced by the Templars themselves. But they are the bad guys, right? If there's one thing I've learned since I started working here, it's that there's no such thing. It's also relative. I guess the best way to explain it is what they want is good, but the way they're going about it is, is bad. Really bad. What are they trying to do? Lucy's phone rings. She picks it up. Lucy? Yes? Vidic comes back in the room, still on the phone. Miss Stillman, I need to speak with you. Get up here now. On my way, doctor. I'm sorry, Desmond, I have to go. You should turn in for the night. The answers to all your questions are right in front of you. You just have to know where to look. Lucy exits the room as Desmond goes to his and lays down. He falls asleep, seeing flashes of symbols on his wall. They are the same symbols as last time. All right, quick stop there. So as, again, we're seeing Altair is killing more people, and their explanations are not as good this time, but it's more of like, I'm doing the greater good of things. I do enjoy killing these people, but I am trying my best to better society. And now Lucy's saying kind of the same thing, whereas there's no such thing as good or evil in the situation. It's just that Abstergo, who are the Templars, are kind of trying to make this positive change, but in a very negative way. So is there even such a good thing? And could you, I don't know, Dave, when, when you say that the Templars are, are doing a bad thing to do a good thing, is that the same as the, as the assassins, or do you think the assassins are handling it better? I guess that's a matter of perspective, right? From our point of view right now, we are an assassin, so we think we're the good guy. And I think that's kind of the theme of the entire series of Assassin's Creed in general. We think we're doing the right thing because it's what we're told is the right thing. 
and how we're supposed to be made to feel is the right thing. But this game also, especially in this section, and and again, I kind of, I guess, I didn't realize how much the modern day and the then um, the stuff with Altair kind of mirrored itself in the story. When you're playing through the game, it's kind of it's spread out a lot more, obviously, than how we're going through it here. You're doing a lot of just running around on your own with no dialogue and um, taking time to do that. And I think that's kind of the cool thing about dissecting the stories like this is it you can kind of get it as more of a, a micro level of seeing how it's working. Again, this section, they're very mirrored. And it's starting to question that reality. Altair is questioning um, his questioning Al-Malim's intentions and and now Desmond is in, is starting to question his reality well these people are Templars but Templars are not what I thought they were and this game does a great job with that of I thought I knew what was right but maybe I don't mm-hmm. but yeah again w- we can only do as the player and as the person in ingesting the story do what we're told to do again and that is we're an assassin what we're doing is the right thing to do and so far as we can tell that is the case we are doing the right thing Templars are doing it in a bad way. That's right. what everyone's been telling us. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Ryan, do you think that if the assassins and the Templars just compromised, that this would all be handled better? Or do you think that's even a possibility from, from what's going on, from what you know only so far in this game? Would that ever be a, a, a thing that could ever happen? Or do you think that they're just kind of stuck in their ways? I think with what we know so far, um, we kind of know they both want peace. Um, as far as the means, it's hard to know... Um, what what means the order is going or the templars are going about things other than in some cases they're helping people in some cases they're kind of just killing people but at the same time the assassins are doing kind of similar things it's just who's kind of giving the order so at least what we have so far maybe maybe they could i mean we know because we're in the present day um at the same time in this game that they aren't getting along Mm -hmm. they're still that they don't compromise but back in the past Perhaps there's a way that those two mindsets could could work towards the same thing, but I I don't know um, because it seems like the assassins want to kind of let things kind of go the way they want to go, and the order wants to have a little bit more control. But yeah, I think it's, that's a tough question to answer if you put yourselves in the shoes of only knowing what you would know if you were this point in the first game, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Knowing what we know as we've been in through eight Assassin's Creed games. <laughs> Compromise is probably not possible because of yeah. the very different ways to go about things. But right now, you know, halfway through the first game and it's like, oh, well, why can't why can't we just work together and come to compromise? That's a great idealistic solution, right? <laughs> um, but that's not always possible when two different ideologies are, are vastly different in how they would accomplish the same ultimate end goal. Right, yeah. And it almost reminds me in a sense of um, Christianity and Islam. And I say that because like, both worship the same god but both go about it in different ways so like uh islam has the praying five times a day christianity um you know has their churches islam has their mosques like it's both different approaches to the same means but a lot of times but we're kind of seeing how there's two different two different religions going after the kind of the same goal but they're going out after it in very different ways um and i don't think they could ever compromise in that regard because they're both very set and rooted in their beliefs so, if, I mean, so far, I mean, obviously, we know much more from the eight Assassin's Creed games that have come out since. I would I would imagine, even if they ever tried, I don't think the Templars and the Assassins could ever work together. Unless it's, like, under extreme circumstances where they, like, desperately needed to. 
And plus, I can't imagine that'd be a really fun game. <laughs> you know, you're just working with Templars, and there's just, you know, who you, you didn't know when to fight against, you're just working anyway, so. The only thing I'll add is, again, in, in some of the later games, you, you see, you play the other side of this piece, and they do mm -hmm. a really interesting job of, of having you, from that perspective, from the other side of things, from the Templar perspective, exploring why they made the choice to join that order versus leaving the assassin order in a really interesting way mm -hmm. um that you know it, it with things that are going on in the world it'd be interesting to see how they would might have to work together because they don't have a choice yeah yeah i actually i wish i had played rogue when it came out assassin's creed rogue because i feel like that's a good perspective changer i've never so I, I have no idea what even happened so um it'd be cool if we ever get to that point where we can like cover that story and see the different different side to the the fight Desen wakes up as his door slides open. He walks out to the main room. Lucy is tending to the Animus. Vidic stands at the back of the room, his back turned to them. Missed you this morning, Doc. Get in the Animus. Desmond does so, laying down on the Animus. The screen fades to white. As the screen comes back in, we see Altair back at the library in Masaif. Al-Malim stands by him. He holds the Templar treasure, a large sphere in his hand. Come in, Altair. I trust you're well rested, ready for your remaining trials. I am, but I'd speak with you first. I have questions. Ask, then. I'll do my best to answer. The merchant king of Damascus murdered the nobles who ruled the city. Majarin in Jerusalem used fear to force his people into submission. I suspect William meant to murder Richard and hold Acre with his troops. These men were meant to aid their leaders. Instead, they chose to betray them. What I do not understand is why. Is the answer not obvious? The Templars desire control. Each man, as you've noted, wanted to claim their cities in the Templar name. That the Templars themselves might rule the Holy Land and eventually beyond. But they cannot succeed in their mission. Why is that? Their plans depend upon the Templar treasure, the Peace of Eden. But we hold it now, and they cannot hope to achieve their goals without it. What is this treasure? It is temptation. It's just a piece of silver. Al-Malim presents the piece of Eden. What am I supposed to see? This. Piece of silver cast out Adam and Eve. It turned stakes into snakes, parted and closed the Red Sea. Iris used it to start the Trojan War. And with it, a poor carpenter turned water into wine. It seems like a plane for all the power you claim it has. How does it work? He who holds it commands the hearts and minds of whoever looks upon it. Whoever tastes of it, as they say. And Garnier's men? An experiment. Herbs used to stimulate its effects, to be ready for when they held it. Toulouse supplied them, Tamir equipped them. They were preparing for something, but what? War. And the others, the men who ruled the cities, they meant to gather up their people? Make them like Garner's men? The perfect citizens, the perfect soldiers. A perfect world. Robert de Saab must never have this back. So long as he and his brothers live, they will try. Then they must be destroyed. Which is what I have you doing. There are two more Templars who acquire your attention. One in Acre, known as Sebrand. One in Damascus. Visit with the Bureau leaders. They'll instruct you further. Al-Malim sets out two more pigeons free. As you wish. Be quick about it. No doubt Robert de Saas made nervous by our continued success. His remaining followers will do their best to expose you. They know you come. The man in the white hood. They'll be looking for you. They won't find me. I am but a blade in the crowd. Here, my gift. In gratitude for your good work you've done. Altair reclaims yet another piece of his lost equipment. 
as he quits the Heli's Masayif, heading for Damascus. When he arrives, Altair collects his information for Anjabar, the Salahuddin's chief scholar. Altair admits that the target is strange to him, but he will follow through with his master's task. The chief scholar has been burning the books of the villagers for unknown reasons. Altair leaves the bureau to find Jabbar and his men burning a large pile of books. He proclaims that all the written works are poison and must be destroyed. As Altair approaches, Jabbar sees him and tries to run, but is unable to escape Altair and his blade. The void world consumes Altair and Jabbar once again. Why, why have you done this? Men must be free to do what they believe. It is not our right to punish one for thinking what they do, no matter how much we disagree. Then what? You of all people should know the answer. Educate them, teach them, right from wrong. It must be knowledge that frees them, not force. They do not learn. Fiction their ways as they are. You are naive to think otherwise. Confused. For which there is but one cure. You're wrong. And that is why you must be put to rest. Am I not unlike these precious books you seek to save? A source of knowledge in which you disagree. Yet you would rather quick to steal my life. A small sacrifice to save many. It is necessary. Is it not ancient scrolls that inspire the crusaders? That fill Salah and his men with a sense of righteous fury? Their text endanger others, bring death in their wake. I, too, was making a small sacrifice. It matters little now. Your deed is done, and so am I. Altair collects his bloody feather, gives it to the Assassin's Bureau, and goes back to his master, Masayif. Welcome back, child. What news? Another of the named is put to rest. Then would appear your work is nearly complete, your status restored. A question, master, if I may. Ask and I will answer. Why these men, Jubar and Sibrand? Ah, don't you see? They paved the way for change. Ensure threats both old and new are not given cause to intervene. To weaken them is to weaken our enemy. I suppose that makes sense. Were these men to continue their work, our work would quickly be undone. How is that? We've caused them much grief. We strike at the arms, yes. But this is a hydra that you face, and it is quick to replace that which is severed. And we should lop off its head and be done with this. Soon, soon. We are close. Only one more man stands between us and our ultimate goal. I will return to my work. The sooner the last man dies, the sooner I may face our true enemy. Before you go, I have a question for you. Of course. What is the truth? We place faith in ourselves. We see the world the way it really is, and hope that one day all mankind will see the same. What is the world, then? An illusion. One we can either submit to, as most do, or transcend. What is it to transcend? To recognize nothing is true, and everything is permitted. That laws arise not from divinity, but reason. I understand now that our creed does not command us to be free. It commands us to be wise. Do you see now why the Templars are a threat? Whereas we would dispel the illusion, they wish to use it to rule. Yes, to reshape the world as an image more pleasing to them. That is why I sent you to steal their treasure. That is why I keep it locked away. And that is why you kill them. So long as even one survives, so does their desire to create a new world order. Take your equipment. Seek out this last man. With his death, while bear this odd, what last be vulnerable? It will be done. Safety and peace upon you, Altair. Altair grabs his equipment. Now recognizing how close he is getting to his position he once lost before. Satisfied, he sets off to take another Templar life in Acre. Once in Acre, Altair makes haste for the Bureau. He is given the name of the man he is to kill, Sabrand, the new appointed leader of the Knights Teutonic and runner of Akre's ports. 
Altair collects his information and learns Sabrand has gone mad, terrified that death comes for him. He waits on his ship, resting Akre's sealed docks. After resting at the Bureau, Altair sneaks in and carefully makes it into Akre's sealed docks. From there, he travels to Sabran's ship, jumping on resting boats and wooden stakes sticking out of the water. As Altair approaches, so too did death, as the assassin stealthily killed the fearful man. The void world enveloped Altair and Sabrand. As Sabrand begged for his life, he compared his actions and causes to those of Altair, that they were the same. Sabrand dies as Altair collects his bloody feather and returns to the bureau. Inside, Altair felt confused if he should be killing these men. Were their intentions truly pure, he thought. As he pondered his thoughts, the animus deconstructed the world and Desmond awoke. He could hear Vidic's voice on a phone. We're close. Not a lot of time, Vidic. Understand there are narrow margins, you know. Wherever it's hidden, time to retrieve it. Working on it. And when it's done... He'll be taken care of. I want that progress report by tomorrow morning. As Vidic finishes his call, he turns to Desmond. I've got some work that I need to do. So you've got the rest of the night to yourself. Desmond gets up off the Animus. Vidic leaves, but Lucy stays, working on the Animus. He approaches her. I think there's a problem with the Animus. Nope, it's working just fine. I'm pretty sure it just ejected me when... I'm pretty sure you should shut up. You ready to finally tell me what's going on? You have to stop them, Desmond. When they access the last memory of yours, they're just getting started. They want to change everything. The way we live, the way we think, the way we are. You've gotten a lecture from Vidic about what's wrong with the world and how we need order and discipline. So they're going to give it to us. We don't have a say in the matter. How? The Templar treasure. Lucy's phone rings. They think it. Lucy answers her phone. It's Vidic. Mrs. Stillman. I'm here. I need you to upload Desmond's files to the database. Got it. Lucy walks to the back of the room where Vidic's computer is. She sits down and starts using it. Desmond follows her. So... What? You're using me to find this Templar treasure? What do they call it? The Peace of Eden? Yes. Well, it's looking like it's at Masayef, so I don't know why they're wasting all this time with me. Why don't they just send their people to pick it up? They can't. It's not that simple. The artifact from Masayef, they had it. It was destroyed in the accident. Then what are they hoping from me, from my ancestor, to tell them? They're hoping he'll show them where the other ones are. You mean there's more than one of these things? Oh, Desmond, you have no idea. Lucy's phone rings again. She answers it. Again, it's Vidic. Is there a problem, Miss Stillman? No, Warren. Everything's Denver on my end. Then, where are the files? We've got to move the files before he gets suspicious. We'll talk more later. Wait, what's that mean? Everything's Denver? It means everything's fine. Why Denver? It's a reference to the Denver International Airport. There's an underground facility there. It's where the accident happened. Desmond leaves Lucy and returns to his room to lay down. He falls asleep on his bed and again sees a flash of the wall and the same symbols as the time before. Alright, so Altair is killed. All the targets he just needs to kill, one more. While Barad is um, he is questioning more than ever if what he's doing is the right thing. As he's actually becoming more respected by Al Mualim and his fellow brothers. Um, you know, so he's, he's getting back to where he wants to go, but he's still... Not quite sure if what his actions are are the right thing. So, um, Ryan, do you think it's okay that Altair continues this path even though he's so confused if he's doing the right thing? 
Um, I think he's starting to have more of an understanding of what's going on. I think he, we, we saw in that discussion with um, his master where he was asking him all of those questions and Altair was kind of fully understanding what it means when you say everything is true, nothing is permitted. Um, but at the same time, he is, is starting to question if then, if that is true and if everything is going on is true, is, is, is the orders that I'm following actually what I should be doing? Um, but I, I don't know if it's the right thing or not, because again, I think based on the information we have, we too are suspicious, but what other, what other, what other answer could there be? We know these Templars are evil. We're learning more about that in the way that, I guess evil isn't the right word. We know that the assassins believe the Templars are evil or what they're trying to do is not the right way to do it. And all the information we're getting is kind of reaffirming that both in the present day and in the modern day. And now we've learned that Lucy in the present day is also trying to have us take out, take down or escape from the Templars both in the present day and the same time Altair is doing it in the past. Yeah, exactly. Dave, do you feel like this is going, uh, this pa- this course that Altair is taking is going to end in a good one? Or do you feel like he's setting himself up for failure If you, but when you first played this? I, th- I think the start, he doesn't really have a, a choice, I guess, right? He has to kind of go with this path. So whatever outcome is coming will be. And I think it's really, at this point, starting to show that this isn't going to end well. Uh, this isn't the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's you don't really have a choice here. You have to keep going. Um, and, but I, I do think I'm expecting the worst at this point. Yeah. I think that it's also interesting how like Altair was very... He was his own person in the beginning of all this. Um, making his own choices and now he's kind of gone the complete opposite way of that where he is being this very submissive person but his his gut is telling him this something's not right here i i, I know something's not right here um so as we're as he's continuing to rob or to sob it's gonna be interesting what course that takes and and how this all ends up going down it's almost as if the way it's kind of being set up or the way it's being presented the structures that like in the end we're gonna find out that the assassins are bad and the Templars are bad and whatever Altair decides, the direction he takes things is going to be the right decision. It's almost kind of what, I, what I'm feeling from the information we have. Yeah, yeah. Like he's the middleman in all this, learning yeah. both sides. Yeah, which is, he, he, maybe he represents the compromise of, of these, right. two, these two orders. We'll have to wait and see. Until, uh, what was it? Revelations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Altair is a really cool character too. I think he's yeah. he's very interesting. He's I thought he was very less annoying at the beginning of the game, but as you work with him more and you kind of see his inner turmoil, um, he becomes much more interesting. He's smarter than he kind of lets on, or he's much more intuitive than he he seems until now. He's become wiser, and through that wisdom, I think he's become better at questioning what's going on around him. Yeah, it's it's. I'm I'm kind of unsure if like that was um, his master's plan or not, right? If if obviously he was just following orders or he was following orders but not doing them correctly he wasn't fully understanding the creed before and now through this journey he's kind of understanding what the creed means and because of that he's questioning and wanting to kind of tear down the illusions around him and it's it's kind of interesting if that was um what the masters um planned the whole time the next morning vidic enters desmond's room time's wasting mr miles Desmond sits up on the edge of his bed. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming. We're nearly done, you know. And then what? You'll see. 
Maybe they'll even let you watch when it begins. It's not as terrible as you think. Look, I know you're not going to let me leave, so why not tell me what's going on? Humor me. I'm not an idiot, Mr. Miles. I think you've already learned quite a bit. I don't know what you're talking about. Of course not. All right, let me ask you something else then. Yes? Some of the stuff I'm seeing in the Animus, sometimes it seems wrong, untrue. Like the history is off somehow. It doesn't... It doesn't what, Mr. Miles? Match up with what you read online? Match up with what you read on an online encyclopedia? What your high school history teacher taught you? Let me ask you something. Do these supposed experts have access to secret knowledge kept hidden from the rest of us? There are books, letters, documents, all sorts of source material from back then. Some of it seems to contradict what the Animus is showing me. Anyone could write a book. And they can put whatever they want on its pages. Anything. Used to be we thought the world was flat. Some people still do. Yes, and they published books about it. Or that the moon landing was a hoax. I believe there's also a book claiming that the world was created in seven days. A bestseller, too. Where's this going, Doc? The point, I suppose, is that you shouldn't trust everything you hear, everything you read. What's that your ancestors said? Nothing is true? Everything is permitted. Yes, exactly. That's part of what makes the Animus so spectacular. There's no room for misinterpretation. There's always room. Touché, Mr. Miles. Now that I've answered your question, can we begin? Vidic and Desmond enter the lab. Lucy is seen working on the Animus. Desmond lays down, and the screen fades to white. The Animus reconstructs Amasaif as Miles awakens as Altair. Come in, my student. We have much to discuss. We are close, Altair. La bird the Saab is now all that stands between us and victory. It is his mouth that gives the orders. His hand pays the gold. With him dies the knowledge of the Templar treasure and any threat it might possess. <clears throat> I still don't understand how a simple bit of treasure could cause so much chaos. The piece of Eden is temptation given form. Merely look at what it's done to Robert. Once he tasted its power, the thing consumed him. He saw not a dangerous weapon to be destroyed, but a tool. One that would help him realize his life's ambition. He dreamed of power, then? Yes and no. He dreamed, still dreams, like us, of peace. But this is a man who sought to see the Holy Land consumed by war. No, Altair. How can you not see you and you're the one that's opened my eyes to this? What do he and his followers want? A world in which all men are united. I do not despise his goal, I share it. But I take issue with the means. Peace is something to be learned, to be understood, to be embraced. And rob us of our free will in the process. Strange to think of him this way. Never harbor hate for your victims, Altair. Such thoughts are poison and will cloud your judgment. Could he not be convinced, then, to end this mad quest? I spoke to him in my way through you. What was each killing if not a message? But he has chosen to ignore us. Then there is only one thing left to do. Jerusalem is where you faced him first. It's where you'll find him now. Let this final offering lend you strength. Al-Mualim releases another pigeon. Go, Altair. It's time to finish this. Altair reclaims his last piece of equipment, fully restoring his rank. He could feel his happiness and pride rise up in his chest. Though... As he felt this, the lingering feelings about the men he has killed throbbed in the back of his mind. He immediately leaves, writing for Jerusalem. As he arrives, he sees his assassin brother, Malak. Safety and peace, Altair. Upon you as well, brother. Seems fate has a funny way with things. It's true, then. Robert de Saab is in Jerusalem. 
I've seen the knights myself. Only misfortune follows that man. If he's here, it's because he intends ill. I will not give him a chance to act. Do not let vengeance cloud your thoughts, brother. We both know no good can come from that. I have not forgotten. You have nothing to fear. You do not seek revenge, but knowledge. Truly, you are not the man I once knew. My work has taught me many things, revealed secrets to me. But there are still pieces of this puzzle I do not possess. What do you mean? All the men I've laid to rest have worked together. United by this man, Robert has designs upon this land. That much I know for certain. But how and why? When and where? These things remain out of reach. Crusaders and Saracens working together. They are none of these things, but something else. Templars. The Templars are part of the Crusader army. Or so they'd like Richard to believe. No, their only allegiance is to Robert de Saab. It's a mad idea. They'll stop the war. You spin a strange tale. You have no idea, Malik. But tell me, where they've been seen. I should be after him before he slips away. Three places I can see for certain. West of here, near both a guard tower and a hospital. In the southwest, at the church of the Holy Sepulchre. See what you can learn. I will do the same. I'll be as quick as I can. Stay safe, my friend. Altair departs, collecting information on Robert, and returns to Malak. He informs Malak that Robert plans to go to a funeral for another of his victims, Majadin. It is there that Altair strikes. Before Altair leaves, he turns to face Malak. Malak, before I go, there is something I should say. Be out with it. I have been a fool. Normally, I'd make no argument. But what is this? What are you talking about? All this time, I never told you I was sorry. Too damn proud. You lost your arm because of me. Lost Kadar. You had every right to be angry. I do not accept your apology. I understand. No, you don't. I do not accept your apology because you are not the same man who went with me into Solomon's temple. And so you have nothing to apologize for. Malak. Perhaps if I had not been so envious of you, I would not have been so careless myself. I'm just as much to blame. Don't say such things. We are one, as we share the glory of our victories. So too should we share the pain of our defeat. In this way we grow closer, we grow stronger. Thank you, brother. Rest if you need to, Altair, that you might be ready for what lies ahead. The Animus skips ahead in time. After meditating, Altair leaves the bureau and heads to the site of the funeral. He enters into the crowd gathered there. Robert de Saab stands next to the priest. As the funeral continues, Altair is unaware that he is noticed by Robert. As Robert informs the priest, the religious figure points out the assassin in the crowd and instructs for Altair to be killed. The assassin fights off Robert's men, only until he and Robert remain. After a fierce duel, Altair prepares to assassinate Robert. I would see your eyes before you die. Altair removes the person's helmet, revealing it not to be Robert de Saab, but instead, Maria Thorpe, a female Templar and a body devil. Maria tells Altair that he is too late, as Robert is riding to King Richard to ask for his aid to destroy the Assassin Brotherhood. As Maria accepts her fate, Altair tells her that she will not die by his hand and lets her go. Altair unhands Maria as she runs off. He moves as fast as he can and returns to the Assassin's Bureau. He informs Malik of Robert's plan. Malik tells Altair to go back to Masayif to ask the Master how to proceed, but Altair refuses. He says his goodbye to his assassin brother and rides off in pursuit of Robert. The animus skips ahead in time. Altair arrives at the battlefield of Arsef. Along the way, he is ambushed by numerous crusader forces. After fending off dozens of them, he finally arrives at the crusader camp. The forces there stopped him. King Richard is seated in the back.
Altair announces to the king that Robert plans to betray him. King Richard, unable to fully believe Altair, questions the assassin's recent actions. Altair takes responsibility for the kills he has made in an attempt to have King Richard see reason. Robert, staying next to Richard, removes his helmet. He accuses Altair of malicious intent as well. Richard proclaims that since neither will stop accusing the other, only God can decide. He pits the assassin against the Templar and has them fight to the death. Robert and his Templar soldiers surround Altair. Seemingly overmatched, Altair eliminates each Templar one by one until only he and Robert stand. Their swords clash until Altair takes the advantage and wounds Robert. As Robert reacts to his wound, he lets his guard down, allowing Altair to strike with his hidden blade. It's done then. Your schemes, like you, are put to rest. <laughs> you know nothing of schemes. You're but a puppet. He betrayed you, boy, just as he's betrayed me. Speak sense, Templar, or not at all. Nine men he sent you to kill, yes? The nine who guarded the treasure's secret. What of it? It wasn't nine who found the treasure, assassin. Not nine, but ten. A tenth? And may Lufu carry the secret. Give me his name. Oh, but you know him well. And I doubt very much you take his life willingly as you've taken mine. Who? It is your master, Al-Mualim. But he is not a Templar. Did you never wonder how it was that he knew so much? Where to find us? How many we numbered? And what we aspire to attain? He is the master of the assassins. We, master of lies, you and I just two more pawns in his grand game, and now, with my death, only you remain. Do you think he'll let you live, knowing what you do? I have no interest in the treasure. Ah, but he does. The only difference between your master and I is that he did not want to share. Ironic, isn't it, that I, your greatest enemy, kept you safe from harm. But now you've taken my life, and in the process, ended your own. Robert dies. Altair stands up as Richard and his men surround him. Well fought, assassin. It seems God favors your cause this day. God had nothing to do with it. I was the better fighter. Ah, you may not believe in him, but it seems he believes in you. Go. Before you go, I have a question. Ask it then. Why? Why travel all this way, risking your life a thousand times to kill a single man? He threatened my brothers and what we stand for. Ah, vengeance then. No, not vengeance, justice. That there might be peace. This is what you fight for, peace. Do you not see the contradiction? Some men cannot be reasoned with. Like that madman, Saladin. I think he'd like to see an end to this war as much as you. So I've heard, but never seen. Even if he does not say it, it is what people want. Sarsen and Crusader alike. The people know not what they want. It is why they turn to men like us. And it falls to men like you to do what's right. Nonsense. We come into the world kicking and screaming, violent and unstable. It is what we are. We cannot help ourselves. No. We are what we choose to be. Huh. Your kind, always playing with words. I speak the truth. There is no trick to be found here. We'll know soon enough, but I fear you cannot have what you desire this day. Even now, the heathen Saladin cuts through my men and I must attend to them. But perhaps, having seen how vulnerable he is, he will reconsider his actions. Yes, in time, what you seek may be possible. You are no more secure than him. Do not forget that. The men you left behind to rule in your stead did not intend to serve you for longer than they had to. Yes, yes, I am well aware. 
Then I'll take my leave. My master and I have much to discuss. It seems even he is not without fault. He is only human, as we all are. You as well. Safety and peace be with you. Altair walks away, back to Masaif to confront his master. The world fades away as Desmond wakes up yet again. Alright, so now we've learned. Ah! Al-Malim has been a Templar the whole time! And that's the irony in all this, is that Al-Malim is talking about <laughs> corrupt leadership. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, manipulating people and how bad the Templars are. And he's, he is doing the exact same thing. And it makes total sense, too. Um, I... Never questioned how Al Malim knew all this information about all nine of these people until it seems kind of like a like a dumb moment. Like how do we not see that coming? You know, I I didn't see it coming that first time. Um, but I don't know, Dave. Did you see this coming when you first played the game? Do you remember? No, definitely not. I I think when I played it initially, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Al Malim wasn't a necessarily noble man and may have had some kind of ill intentions, but not that he was actually the enemy, uh, that, that he was a Templar. Mm-hmm. And, and that speaks to earlier in the story when Al-Malim said, great leaders find ways to control to get what they want. And he did that with Altair. He broke him down, threatened to take everything from him to then make him listen to him and do his bidding and look at him as a, a mentor. Oh, he's saving me. I'm doing this to, to get my life back, and he's so gracious to do this, when really it was just his way to completely control him and get him to do his bidding. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember ever expecting him to be a Templar, though. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what about you? Did you? Were you like stunned by this revelation when you first played, or, or did you see it coming? Yeah, no, I was, I was totally stunned by this. And it kind of speaks to, in some ways, the power of the Templars, if they're able to infiltrate the leaders of the Assassin's Order. Um, in this way, um, but yeah, no, I didn't expect it at all. But certainly mm-hmm. now, looking back, and that's that's I mean that's the hallmark of a really good twist, right? Where there was a bunch of these clues along the way that if only you had this one piece of information, it would all fall in together. Um, and now when we have it, it, it all makes sense. But no, I had no idea. What about you? Yeah, no, I yeah, I didn't even see it coming at all. And I think now as I'm sitting here talking to you guys about it, I think that it's just another good lesson that we're learning from this game is not only is perspective is everything. But it's also like, don't be afraid to question your leaders because it's these leaders and their ambitions that are going to set you down this path. And maybe it's not a path that you want to go down. So now, now Altair is going to be questioning Al-Malim and learning the truth as to what's going on. Um, so yeah, I mean, would you guys agree? Would, would, would questioning your leaders be a good theme that you're seeing in this game now with what we know? I think it's, it's not just questioning your leaders. I think you should, the way this game is setting it up, you should question everything you believe. Because clearly there is so much more going on behind the scenes of even the most simple, what appear to be the most simple organizations. I mean, obviously Abstergo is a giant organization, but they're a pharmaceutical company. Well, clearly they're not, and no one has ever really questioned it. And um, I, I think it's yeah, it's just setting up, question everything. Something is always likely not what it appears to be. And really try and get an understanding of the true motivations behind someone's actions. I think, yeah, I think you put it perfectly. Lucy and Vidic stand in the room as Desmond gets off the Animus. Vidic is furious and tells Desmond to listen. Turning on a speaker, the sounds of gunshots and death sound in the room. Desmond realizes that the assassins have come to take him back. As Vidic questions Desmond, assuming he let the assassins know where he is, Abstergo security signal an all clear. Vidic, pleased the assassins failed, flaunts Desmond's failed rescue to the former assassin himself and leaves the room. 
Desmond walks over to Lucy, upset that his only chance to escape his prison is now dead. They just killed, literally killed my only chance of getting out of here. And then I find out the assassins are all but destroyed and, and Christ, I still don't know what these people are planning. But I do know they plan to kill me when they're done. I am screwed, okay? What do you want me to do? Lucy raises her hand to her chest and bends her ring finger back. The sign of the assassins. Just try and have a little faith. Your... Have faith. Rest up, Desmond. You're going to need the energy. Desmond, collecting himself, goes to his room. He lays down and falls asleep. The signs flash yet again. The next day, as usual, Desmond is woken up by Vidic. Desmond lays on the Animus one last time. Masayif reconstructs inside of the Animus. Altair arrives at Masayif's village and notices no villagers can be seen. Only one villager awaits, speaking nonsense that Altair cannot make sense of. He runs the assassin fortress only to be confronted by his assassin brothers. Shouting in the name of their master, the assassins attack Altair, who is forced to slay them. As he continues to fight, throwing knives rain down from above, slaying the rest of the assassins trying to kill Altair. Malik and other sane assassins stand above Altair. Altair, up here. Altair joins Malik and his group go uphill. You've picked a fine time to arrive. So it seems. Guard yourself well, friend. Amaim has betrayed us. Yes, betrayed his Templar allies as well. How do you know? After we spoke, I returned to the ruins beneath Solomon's temple. Robert kept a journal, filled with pages of revelations. What I read there broke my heart, but it also opened my eyes. You were right, Altair. All along, our master has used us. We were not meant to save the Holy Land, but deliver it to him. He must be stopped. Be careful, Malik. What he has done to others, he'll do to us given the chance. You must stay far away from him. What would you propose? My blade arm is still strong, and my men remain my own. It would be a mistake not to use us. Distract the thralls, then. Assault the fortress from behind. If you can draw their attention away from me, I might reach out on him. I will do what you ask, Da. The men we face, their minds are not their own. If you can avoid killing them. Yes, though he has betrayed the tenets of the creed, it does not mean we must as well. I will do what I can. That's all I ask. Safety and peace, friend. Your presence here will deliver us both. Altair and Malik separate. Altair heads to the fortress grounds. The gate shuts behind him, sealing him inside. He goes up the stairs, leading to the fortress entrance, where the entire village has gathered. They stand eerily silent, watching Altair as he makes his way to the entrance. There are so many innocents. I must be careful not to harm them. Altair makes his way into the fortress, where he notices the back door is opened. Without hesitation, he ventures through, into the garden. Arriving in the garden, the door shuts behind him. The area is empty. As Altair steps into the center, a powerful force seizes control of his body, marked by a golden glow around him. No, what's happening? Al Molim stands on the balcony high above. He holds the piece of Eden, known as the Apple of Eden, in his hand. So, the student returns. I have never been one to run. Never been one to listen, either. I still live because of it. What will I do with you? Let me go. Oh, Altair, I hear the hatred in your voice. Feel its heat. Let you go. That would be unwise. Why are you doing this? I found proof. Proof of what? That nothing is true, and everything is permitted. Al-Malim holds the Apple of Eden higher. It glows even more. Come, destroy my betrayer, send him from this world. We see the phantoms of Altair's nine targets. 
They are phantoms created by the Apple of Eden. Altair is released, and the fight begins. One by one, he defeats the phantoms. He is then seized by the power of the Apple again. Face me, or are you afraid? I have stood before a thousand men, all of them superior to you, and all of them dead. By my hand, I am not afraid. El-Mualim steps down in front of Altair, the Apple of Eden still in his hand. Prove it. What could I possibly fear? Look at the power I command. Al-Malim uses the power of the apple and creates eight clones of himself. They surround and attack Altair. One by one, Altair defeats the clones and then attacks Al-Malim himself. The fight ends abruptly and once again, Al-Malim restrains Altair. Have you any final words? You lied to me. Called Robert's go foul when all along it was yours as well. I've never been much good at sharing. You won't succeed. Others will find the strength to stand against you. And this is why, so long as men maintain free will, there will be no peace. I killed the last man who spoke as such. Bold words, boy, but just words. And let me go. I'll put words into action. <laughs> Tell me, master, why did you not make me like other assassins? Why allow me to retain my mind? Who are you and what do you have entwined too tight together? Who you are and what you do are twined too tight together. To rob you of one would be to deprive me of the other, and those Templars had to die. But the truth is that I did try in my study when I showed you the treasure. But you are not like the others. You saw through the illusion. Illusion? That's all it's ever been. This Templar treasure. This piece of Eden. This word of God. Do you understand now? The Red Sea was never parted. Water never turned to wine. It was not the machinations of Eris that spawned the Trojan War. But this, illusions, all of them. What you plan is no less an illusion. To force men to follow you against their will? Is it any less real than the phantoms of Saracens and Crusades follow now? Those, craving God who retreat from this world, that men might slaughter one another in their names. They live amongst an illusion already. I'm simply giving them another, one that demands less blood. At least they chose these phantoms. Oh, do they? Aside from the occasional covert or heretic. It isn't right. Ah, and now logic has left you. In its place you embrace emotion. I am disappointed. What's to be done, then? You will not follow me, and I cannot compel you. And you refuse to give up this evil scheme. Seems that we are in an impasse. No, we are at an end. <sighs> I will miss you, Altair. You are my very best student. Altair and Amwalim face off one final duel. Each time Altair takes contact, Amwalim invokes the power of the Apple of Eden. He vanishes and weakens Altair with its power. Blind Altair, blind all that you've ever been, all you'll ever be. Altair, strong enough to pierce through the power, runs through the garden despite being weakened and finds Al-Malim. My blade sees for me, Al-Malim, and it cuts through the darkness. After another hit, Al-Malim disappears again. He laughs and Altair chases him again. <laughs> Altair finds him and connects his blade to Al-Malim yet again. Cursed you, Altair! Al-Malim vanishes, then, but reappears. They clash again, and this time, Altair gains the upper hand and deals the final blow. Al-Malim lays dying as Altair lays over him like his other victims. Al-Malim watches as the Apple Eden rolls away, escaping his grasp. The two enter the void world. Impossible. The student does not defeat the teacher. Nothing is true. Everything is permitted. So it seems. You have won, then. Go and claim your prize. You had fire in your hand, old man. It should have been destroyed. 
destroy the only thing capable of ending the Crusades and creating true peace. Never. Then I will. We'll see about that. Altair and Amalim return to the garden. The Apple of Eden lays across from Altair. As he approaches it, he hears Al-Malin's voice in his head. As he speaks, the Apple of Eden begins to glow and displays the image of the earth as if it were a projector. Altair stands silent before it. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that which is also chasing after wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he increaseth knowledge, increaseth sorrow. Altair stands silent, mesmerized by the Apple of Eden. Destroy it! Destroy it as you said you would! I... I can't. Yes, you can, Altair, but you won't. Altair stands in front of the Apple of Eden and the displayed image of the Earth. Malak and the other two assassins run up and they'll begin to stare at it. We've got it! Vidic's voice echoes throughout the world as it deconstructs and Desmond wakes up again. What the hell was that? Desmond sees Lucy and Vidic. Vidic talks to someone mysterious in the other room. Two bodyguards stand with the mysterious man. Vidic and the man discuss collecting the other pieces of Eden and not leaving anything to chance. They mention not wanting any trouble in the new world. When Vidic asks about Desmond, the man orders him to be killed. Lucy steps forward, saying that Desmond could still be useful and to keep him around until they are absolutely sure he is unneeded. Vidic and Lucy start to leave. Desmond stands up and suddenly begins to experience eagle vision. He sees strange designs at his feet. He notices that Vidic glows red and Lucy glows blue. What the hell is that? Desmond finds that he can activate eagle vision freely, and he sees numerous designs, symbols, letters, and numbers on the floor around the lab. He goes into his room, and with the eagle vision, he sees his wall is filled with writings and symbols. Same writing and symbols he saw numerous times as he went to sleep in his room. Oh my god. Looks like... Is that blood? Who the hell were they keeping here before me? And what happened to him? What does it mean, I wonder? The end. Kind of an abrupt ending. <laughs> Alright, so overall, so we had Altair, he confronts Al-Malim, who, you know, reveals he is a Templar, they fight, um, and Altair is the victor, but kind of falls into that scheme of Al-Malim's that you can't destroy this amazing artifact, this Apple of Eden. Um, so yeah, so so Dave, you brought the story to us today. Overall, what do you think about the story of Assassin's Creed? I love it. I I do hate the abrupt ending, but obviously it's <laughs> setting up for, for bigger and better things to come in the following decade, <laughs> decade plus at this point. <laughs> uh, but I, I do love it. It kind of makes you, even as a human, question things. I, I'm not a conspiracy theory person, mm -hmm. even in the slightest. I'm also not a religious person. And I think this is a very interesting fictional take on history and and how religion kind of controls how people act and how just organizations in general can rise to power and, and how things are the way they are and how they're not the way they appear to be at the same time. I, I think it's just a really kind of unique take on everything that, especially at that time in games, I mean, we were, it was in the middle of a lot of really good stories starting to come forward in gaming. I think it was Bioshock 2006. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it games like so. Bioshock and Assassin's Creed and I think Fallout 3 was around that same time, maybe. 
and games mm-hmm. with 2007 was a wild year yeah and mass effect yeah. i think was around the same time too and the storytelling games was really oh, starting yeah. to take off and i think this was in my eyes my favorite story of that that time frame again because it mixes that history with the modern day and it's just mysteries all over the place so you're just kind of always left wondering what could happen next and some of that was probably mishandled as the years went on in certain games or at least felt that way but um <laughs> assassin's creed one as a standalone piece of story I, I thought was really really well crafted yeah yeah, totally yeah i think just like dave I, I loved it i think it's a really well-told story especially those parallels that they achieve throughout with the present day with um desmond and then with altair that that parallel i think was really powerful and it really lended to uh making the story much more interesting and and there was some it, it was makes the story much more interesting and and deeper in some ways as you're you're really unv- you're really learning about two stories at the same time and that's like the mm-hmm. i think one of the beauties of this series is they're telling two stories in tandem in parallel which is such an incredible challenge which is and then it isn't surprising as to why moving forward they kind of went one way instead of the other way um yeah. with just kind of leaving tidbits for the other piece but yeah i think this is um this and the following games are kind of a a, a really incredible story that they're trying to tell and the twists and turns are great um the fact that he is a templar um at the end was really interesting a really cool twist and that all the people you were killing they were templars but they were templars who he didn't want to share his this artifact with this apple of eden with i think we don't get any kind of real conclusion to the modern day but again that's intentional um nor do we get any real conclusion to altier's story for quite some time um but once they do conclude it it's 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 pretty satisfying so um yeah i think it's great what about you eric what are your final thoughts yeah, I think it's a really, like you said, like you both said, this game does a really great job at kind of telling two good stories um, and intertwining them in interesting ways. I love how they take this, this the history and this realism and they, they shape it using this idea of the Apple of Eden, like taking it and, and kind of explaining how Jesus turned water into wine, how Eris started the Trojan War, how Moses parted the Red Sea. It, it makes these things believable in this context of like, you need this powerful object for this to happen. Then it kind of makes more sense. Um, I think it's so smart and, and so interesting to kind of take these tales and, and to kind of shift them into a fun new narrative for you to kind of enjoy. Um, yeah, I wish, I, I really wish, I mean, we have Assassin's Creed 2 coming up in the future, right? And I, it's another great game. And I feel like, um, well, I know that the game's director for the first two games, oh, the first three games, I'm sorry, after the third game, he left. And there's a bunch of new directors for the series. Um, I think it's kind of where I tried to take weird twists and turns. Um, so I, I really wish the games had kind of kept this level of mystery and kept this level of like kind of half and half with the present and the past. But focusing on just this game, I think it does it really well. And I really enjoyed it a lot. And um i i wish we had a better ending like david said which is kind of abrupt um but overall it's a it's a fun journey and it's a it's a really good story and man do i wish ubisoft would make a remake of this because i think it would be fantastic if you took all of the elements you kind of have done in the last eight games and put it into a new assassin's creed one like faster climbing huh sold i'm already sold like that'd be fantastic that'd be amazing um so yeah overall great story so Dave, thanks so much for bringing the story to us today and and for and for doing this with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Um, it was it was a blast. Uh, it was nice to relive the story and and kind of look at it in a more under a microscope and and really experience it in a different way. So uh, yeah, thank you. 
Yeah. Is there any uh, anything you like to plug to the storygoers that are listening that you do? Oh, I suppose I could. Uh, I actually I mentioned <laughs> earlier this is not a, a normal topic I, I podcast on. I am a, a co-host of a movie podcast. If any of you are also interested in movies, you can find our podcast, the FML Pod, anywhere podcasts are found. Although um, I think we're changing the name soon, so this may not be relevant oh, cool. in searching for that. So find it really quickly because I think in like a month we're going to change it. But yeah, we uh, we talk movies and just a little bit of pop culture stuff in general, but not video games, unfortunately, which is uh, what you're here for. So, anyway, <laughs> well, I mean, if they this is a video game podcast about stories, so I have a feeling that people who like video game stories are like movie stories yeah. too, or talk about movies in general. So, um, and when you do change your name of your podcast, let us know because we'll definitely shout it out so people know in the future yeah. so they can find you. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. As always, storygoers, send us your thoughts, feelings, and perspective. We'll read it on the next episode. Uh, Tales from the Cartridge at gmail.com. All the E's are threes. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Next week is another DLC episode. We haven't really figured out what we're going to talk about yet, I don't think. <laughs> no, we have not. We'll so we'll think, about the, yeah, we'll think about that. We'll probably post it on, on Instagram or Twitter in the meantime. So, um, But as always, I hope you're happy. I hope you're healthy. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.